Welcome to What the Hex, your source for Warhammer Underworlds and under 30 stories featuring your favorite war band. I'm your host, Aaron, and with me are my co-hosts, Davey, Phil, and Paul. How are you guys doing today? Real good. Doing pretty solid. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So as you may have figured out by whichever intro you may have just heard, uh, we are doing a crossover. This is uh, What the Hex Meets the Story Phase, two podcasts that uh, exist on our mortal realms network. Um, we're happy to be working together. At least that's what we tell the uh, paparazzi when they come taking their <laughs> pictures. Uh, it's a story we maintain. Uh, but we are here together to talk about something uh, relevant to both podcasts. It is the Dire Chasm Anthology, like we mentioned. Uh, so we'll be doing this as a story phase uh, episode, uh, but we're going to cover some of the usual what the heck things too. Uh, and to that point, we should say uh, for context, uh, this is uh, towards the end of the uh, Dire Chasm season, we have all the releases out except for uh, Arena Mortis 2, which we should be seeing before the fifth season arrives. Um, and uh, waiting on that to, to come slide into our DMs. I am going to keep this kind of brief because we have uh, 11 short stories to cover, which is quite a hefty helping. Um, in story phase terms, that might be a, a, a pretty light load, but uh, we <laughs> in the story phase, if we know anything, we know how to make those episodes long. So uh, for our community shout outs, uh, I just want to shout out our local community, which we haven't done for a while. And that, that uh, uh, hinges greatly around Vint, who runs the local Warhammer store in Fitchburg. He set up a great environment for us to run leagues and different things like that. Uh, and then obviously Phil and I, a special shout out to our uh, Underworlds League. At the time of this recording, we are a couple days from the uh, finale of our uh, return to in-person gaming. However long that may last, eyes on you, Delta. But uh, the the Jazz Ensemble, uh, Skyler, Josh, Brian, all that crew that have that been coming out and just given that, that uh, positive energy each night uh, that we're playing, it's been really awesome. Um, I, I find at the end of a couple hours playing, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been smiling for, for two and a half hours straight, and it's awesome. So uh, nod to that, uh, that part of our personal community. Um, but uh, our next segment to bang through here is, uh, is the what the heck is going on with you? And uh, Aaron, since you are our host tonight, <laughs> what the heck is going on with you? What have you been doing in the hobby lately? Um, I finished, for anybody who listens to the story face, I've been talking about my Slanesh endeavors for a long time, but they are done. And so oh. I have pulled, and by done, okay, let me clarify, I by did? done, I mean assembled <laughs> and in a box, um, never to be touched again. Uh, instead, I have now pulled out what, what little Nurgle forces I have, and I have not taken knife to model quite yet, or clippers to sprue, um, but I've I've perused through the instructions, which in a way is its own little hobby, um, but I'm getting ready, uh, psyching myself up to start tackling that little project. So right. I'm excited to be doing something different. We'll nice. do a little back and forth then. Phil, what have you been up to? Uh, yeah, unfortunately not much. Um, got out to play again, though. That felt mm. pretty good. Uh, rolling some dice for the first time in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, and obviously reading just good yeah excellent paul what the heck is going on with you i had finished my salmon ella uh miniature so it's a mortal citizen uh shout out to our mortal realms discord um coming up with this awesome non-combatant idea for the mortal realms 
Um, and it, she is a fisher woman. So I finished her uh, at the end of last month. And then I spent most of this week assembling the new Dominion uh, slash extremist terrain uh, that's coming out with the new AOS 3.0. And then assembling all the Stormcasts uh, from Dominion and extremists as well. And then giving them to my children and then slapping paint on them in haphazard fashion. So uh, it's been pretty fun to watch them like actually get to grips with the miniatures in the last couple of days. So I've, I've enjoyed that immensely. All right. Awesome. And for myself, I've been uh, actually at the time of recording, we just uh, just launched the Hexodus blog. Uh, it's been fun to get some uh, feedback on that. It uh, it had a soft launch a couple weeks ago, but I am new to the whole system. And so I used those couple weeks to kind of troubleshoot, um, troubleshoot that whole thing. And uh, Aaron helped me out from uh, defeating myself with uh, lack of tech savvy. Um, and uh, hopefully by the time this releases, it, the uh, the next entry will be imminently arriving. Um, you have not... earned the title Webmaster of <laughs> www.themortalrealms.com. Congratulations. <laughs> it's the greatest title I can bestow on anyone. Yeah, it is a great responsibility and one for which I feel uh, no obligation to uphold. <laughs> no one uh, ever does. Yeah, we're going to drive this straight into the ground. Um uh, and then uh, hobby-wise, I have some conversions that I'm excited to show off for Eyes of the Nine. They're not quite ready yet, uh, but the the color schemes come together. And uh, if I can get my button gear, then they might make a showing at our uh, finals, the finale of our league. So, but uh, TBD, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, we got a lot to cover. So, what do you say? We get on with it. Sounds like Please a plan. Uh, Paul. Would you do us the honors with your dulcet tones heading into the story phase? The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. Poisoned from the inside by the treacherous Cataphrane curse, the Ur Mountain forever calls warriors to its bloody depths in its desperation. Myriad warbands answer from across the mortal realms, some seeking treasure, others power, and yet more wishing only to kill. None find what they came for, and even death is denied those who enter Beast Graves halls. How do you do that in one take so well? Man, <laughs> I, I mean, like years and years of vocal training <laughs> is what it comes down to. <laughs> and uh, knowing it takes forever if you mess it up. <laughs> as soon as he started reading, I was like, "Man, I typed this like while I was talking to you guys in the preamble. Like, what are the odds that I set him up for failure with like a?" egregious typo somewhere in here so Aaron, you should also be praising me is what i'm trying to say uh that'll we'll save that for the after dark oh okay <laughs> uh so we usually kick this off with the uh spoiler free segment and so this is uh where we kind of talk about the book what to expect and uh give you an idea of uh what we thought of the book without giving anything away so if you uh, are of a mind you can choose to go out and snap it up yourself and read it as well that's not to say you couldn't if you're somebody who's totally fine with spoilers obviously you could uh, listen to the whole thing and still read it so uh we like to go with a, a when when does this story take place in relation to other uh background other uh lore that we know about and what big picture events uh inform the plot uh anyone got a sense of this yeah, this is post Necroquake. Um, so the Necroquake sort of causes the city of Shadespire, which is where the underworld setting originated, to spill out into Gur. Um, 
And so in, in so doing, we ended up inside this mountain called Beast Grave. Uh, and Dire Chasm is just a like deeper segment of Beast Grave. So it's like journeying deeper down into the mountain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also point out that this is after the Black Library uh, novel or novella. I don't remember for Beast Grave. Because mm. um, yeah. did you read that, Paul? I did. Yeah, that was oh, actually where I was confused I as to whether or not I had read this book because I was like, I remember reading about <laughs> Beast Grave. So yeah, no, I yeah. actually did read that one, um, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit. Um, right. That's a that's good. a CL Werner, as I recall. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So that was a that was a cool uh, little uh, underworld specific uh, novel um, that mm-hmm. is definitely an intro into what's going on here with the Dire Chasm anthology. You don't need to read it, but it was it was a fun little intro into what we're dealing with here. Um, generally, my favorite one of my favorite things about like Underworlds is that it is sort of a chronological like series of like games, right? Like one leads into the other, leads into the other, um, and so like in that sense, this follows from like the, the the I don't know if the word is events, but like the the settings in which each of the previous seasons like took place, which I, I always think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's some like loose story elements to sort of give a reason for all the warbands to be there, but it's it's like a one card text. So it's like two paragraphs. Yeah. At this rate, that's all I have time to read. So like, I Fair. appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it is worth noting, like every war band has their motivation to be there. And, and yeah. I, I enjoy that. Um, and I enjoy even the, even the cards kind of build some story on it. Uh, Phil already kind of touched on this with the where uh, we're in beast grave, which is a mountain. Um, it is a mountain. It is the Ur mountain. Um, uh, we see that prefix often with stuff in Age of Sigmar. You are Ur, like the you know the Ur grub or the Ur mountain or whatever Ur-gold. the case may be. Yeah, it kind of means like the the primal, like the essence of. I think is is what they're trying to, um, like the, the super duper right. Um, so Beast Grave uh, is somewhere in Gur. Have we seen a map in any of the other fiction as to where it specifically yeah, is? It yeah, it is. It is on on a map. One, like the, the not the quintessential. Yeah, maybe quintessential map that they've been showing, sort of as part of the sort of AOS 3.0 stuff. Okay. Right, how a lot mm-hmm. of it's set in the realm of beasts. Those mm-hmm. maps do have Beast Grave. It's like I don't know, on the left side of it. Okay, yeah. the west yeah, side. It's, are, it's are, go not. Ahead. It's not on the continent of Thondia. It's across the sea. There we go. Sea. You so. anticipated my question. Our, our main uh, our main point of reference in Gur uh, thus far has been Thondia and specifically the city of Excelsis. Uh, so not all that close, sounds like. And not related to the mountain that Kragnos was buried under, which I thought was a no. missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was, seems uh, like maybe they were setting that up, but yeah, nope. Uh, what do we know about Beast Grave already? Um, we, uh, that, that's kind of like a central who to this. If you want to consider the Beast Grave as, as, uh, a, a near, it talks about it being somewhat sentient, but sentient, not in the way that we think of it. And, and, uh, you kind of get some, I don't know, like elder God vibes from this mm-hmm. thing. Like this is a thing that exists, uh, in a, in a way that we can't quite comprehend, uh, does anyone want to try uh, describing what what Beast Grave is itself, like what the mountain is itself? Yeah, I would I would say that it's almost like a embodied force of nature. Um, mm. it, it's not conscious in the sense that it doesn't have like a mind that can uh, 
you know, plan and have conscious thought, but it is parcheesy with it or anything. Yeah. But, but it, it has drives and primal like, uh, like, uh, desires to try and sate its hunger. Uh, they Mm -hmm. always talk about how it's hungry and it's always Mm -hmm. trying to eat, which since it's part of Gur, kind of makes sense. Everything, literally everything in Gur is trying to eat its, each other, including the continents. So it only makes sense that a mountain would be doing the same thing. Mm. We talk about like, you know, the qualities that this beast grave mountain has, and it seems as if that would be sort of a unique or like, uh, uh, you know, solely some, you know, quintessential, I don't want to use quintessential again, but some, it's, it's, you know, unique to beast grave, but that's not true. In fact, most mountains, if I understand correctly, in Gur are, you know, <laughs> hungry and are, are moving around and uh, consuming other mountains in some sort of slow grinding way. And so in that regard, beast grave is actually pretty similar to a lot of this stuff, but I think it maybe is a more ancient, more primal, maybe, you know, the, how do I say the word progenitor? of some mm. of these mountains. And so sure. because of that, it has a particular, um, like it's given particular reverence and, and like wide births as well, that people know that this, this particular mountain is particularly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. think, uh, without getting into spoilers, um, it, it, I don't think it's unfair to say that the mountain is some kind of sentience. Um, and one of the things that you understand from playing, um, Underworlds is that there also is an ancient civilization within the mountain called the Silent People, mm-hmm. and there is not any necessarily direct correlation between the mountain itself and the Silent People, but it is possible to conjecture that the Silent People may have awakened the mountain or instilled an awareness into the mountain itself. Um, they seem to be something that's a little bit intrinsically involved with each other. Um, so that's, I, I guess, if we're going to talk about who, that seems like an interesting um, part of who Beastgrave it. Sure. Uh, there's a more obvious who, and that is the many factions that are represented in this. Um, somebody want to quick give us a rundown of uh, which factions we actually have a point of view from? Because uh, this, this is relevant to somebody who might have a favorite faction and might be wondering, hey, can I hear about my favorite dudes and dudettes running through Beastgrave? I'm going to rattle them off if you want me to. <laughs> Do it. Here we go. Uh, if you are a fan of a war band as follows. Uh, nope, because I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce all these, pronounce all these right. Myari's Purifiers. Myari's Purifiers. Uh, the Dread Pageant. Uh, Morgwaith's Blade Coven. Spite Claw's Swarm. The Grimwatch. The Eyes of the Nine. Ripper, Ripper's Snarl Fangs. Morgok's Crushes. Hrothgorn's Man Trappers. Thundrick's Profiteers. The Worm Smat. Worm Spat, that is... <laughs> and uh, there's actually a couple other others like sprinkled and peppered in that we don't necessarily get their point of view. But believe me, they're there. Um, <laughs> so if any of those intrigue you and you want to read more, then this is the anthology for you. For for those keeping track, that is uh, all of the Beast Grave War Bands except for the Starter Box, uh, and the Starter Dire Chasm War Bands, and then a, a handful from the previous seasons. So, uh, Which makes sense because this book dropped... Uh, right at the start of Dire Chasm, and you can't go spoiling the other Dire Chasm warbands in this book. So uh, I think I think that uh, it tells us why there's there's a little more Beast Grave warband flavor than you might have expected uh, based on the name on the front of the book. 
Uh, our last W question that we hit here uh, in the pre-spoiler is uh, what, uh, are there any additional what that we've missed above? Uh, and what I want to hit on here is uh, what, what do we already know? Um, and if you want to know more about what came before, uh, what happened in Shadespire, you can go back and listen to uh, our coverage of Josh Reynolds' The Mirrored City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yep. yep. Uh, it's around the 34, 35, 36 area of our, our podcast. I don't... How do you know phase. that? I think I had to look it up for something. I, I've, I've plugged the story phase a couple times on uh, What the Hex. And uh, so I remember it was 30-something. But, cool. Uh, and that talks about that. But the the, uh, the city itself, Shadespire, uh, was created. The, the Cataphranes, it was a, um, a city that was uh, very wealthy and a, a trade hub and a uh, cultural um, beacon uh, and the those in charge the cataphranes were looking for ways to basically uh, outlast death how can we how can we not die because that's we, we're accomplishing everything else like wouldn't it be cool to not die and uh, I guess. They're, they're getting pretty close to that and uh, and the gash doesn't take kindly to that sort of thing so he curses the city uh, curses them to uh, yeah, you, you want to live forever? You got it, but uh, you're not going to get it the way you want it. Uh, and so, wants to live forever? So, yeah. Uh, what the book. heck, listeners? This is a thing that happens uh, in the story phase. People just start singing sometimes. Um, so uh, they're supposed to owe a dollar when they do so. So Paul has a really substantial debt, which we're going to yes. make him uh, come clean on at some point. Um, but... Uh, that curse uh, then went on to anybody who entered the city and the city being that uh, trade hub, cultural beacon, like we were talking about, uh, is very attractive to treasure seekers and uh, and the like that are they're coming. So uh, they get trapped in the city and they would uh, die and come back to life. Uh, and time is all wobbly there. So you can... Uh, come back to life before you actually died in the first place. It's it's a lot of possibilities that go on. Uh, then uh, Nagash uh, in the in the background had his um, Shaishin Nadir. He tried. He uh, basically he had a big uh, big thing called the Necroquake. It was a ritual that didn't quite go right and blasted death magic all over, and that cracked. Shadespire, which created a possibility for people to escape, which is a big deal. Unfortunately, they uh, escaped right into uh, Beastgrave, which is a real bummer for them. Uh, and the uh, the curse of the Cataphranes followed them there. Uh, and that is a lot of what's going on in Dire Chasm, the, uh, the details of that. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Pretty sure, pretty sure that gets everybody caught up to speed if they're not already aware of what's been going on in underworlds before we get any further does this uh, so we do know again spoilers for anyone who hasn't listened to the rest of the story phase episodes up to now but uh nagashi ran into some uh, technical difficulties recently mm-hmm. uh <laughs> one wonders yeah. is that you know so that's not represented here in this novel uh and you wonder if that's going to carry on into whatever the next season of uh warhammer underworlds is uh, but uh, that that's an important part of the win as, uh, as far as this goes. Totally. Yeah. It, yeah. Not that it happening twice now cons- is, consists of a pattern, but the fact that the first two seasons were Shadespire-centric and the next two seasons were Beastgrave, you wonder if, if that is a pattern and then that is indicative that maybe we'll go somewhere next. Somewhere yeah. different. 
what what realm is next is the question. I mean, so that's all speculation. Yeah, you you can hear that in our fantastic speculation sode, which is for sure going to be something everyone wants to hear. I don't know. <laughs> we we uh, if we run out of ideas, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would say this is the part where Aaron would usually say, "Let's stop being coy and get into spoilers." But before we do, let's give a sneak peek on what we thought of the book. Uh, so initial recommendations. Do we recommend the book? Um, I'm going to run down the line. Let's start with uh, Paul. Do you uh, recommend this book? I do. I enjoyed it. And to whom do you recommend it? Um, I would recommend it to people who like Underworlds, but also just people who want kind of... Um, th- the fun thing about this book is because it's about the Underworlds uh, warbands, Aaron can talk more about that, that you have a very clear idea of who you're dealing with. Uh, and that was a really fun thing about this um, set of short stories. But in general, I really like short stories. They're a little bit of investment of time and a lot of payoff uh, if you're interested in the characters. So I like that. Uh, all right. Well, how about uh, Aaron? Give us your give us your hot take. Speak of the devil. All right. Hot take. <laughs> um, I loved it, actually. And it makes me wonder uh, what I've been missing out by not reading anthologies more regularly. Um mm. What I particularly loved about it is um, the fact that all the stories were about like a given subject. So in that regard, it actually read very like it had a very clean like through line, and that made it all the more reason or all the more um, unput uh, unput downable. That's a phrase I just made up. <laughs> um, real page turner uh, in that yeah. regard. Um, Paul was right. I'd mentioned it while I was reading it to the group that I, I really. Uh, vibe with the idea that like these are all special characters in the setting that like i know and i can look up their models and i had to do that a lot because i don't know everyone's names like davy does all the time i don't know where he stores all that information um and so because of that it really i don't know if grounded is the word undergrounded perhaps because we're in a mountain um but like it made it all the more interesting that i had like this this direct attachment to it and i guess i never really knew how much that mattered to me until i read this book and then um Furthermore, we always talk about how the short story form is the best form for like this black black library stories, and I feel like this is no exception. Most, if not all, of them were fairly concise. They like focused on like one coherent thought or one like idea that they wanted to get it across. Uh, they did so, and then they exited gracefully. Um, and because of that, I really appreciated it. So um, it might have been because maybe some of the more recent books I've read have been read have been long. Uh, and maybe meandering. It was a nice, fresh uh, breath of fresh air uh, to read these these uh, short stories, and it was nice to get the variety that we saw in the book as well. So I'm rambling. The point is, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's obviously great for those who read Underworlds and who have even a passing interest of you know the background for that game. But I think it stands up um, as one of the better uh, Age of Sigmar groupings of stories, like just period, regardless of the mm. particular subject matter. So excellent, Phil. Counterpoint. Uh, well, counterpoint, uh, I, I do feel like there's something here for everyone. Um, I do think that there are going to be some of the stories that maybe, uh, are not, you don't have to read it all the way through, like start to finish, I guess. Uh, like if you really love all the Underworlds warbands and you really want to dive into like psychology of some of the fighters, learn some of their backstory, get some of their motivations, like that can be really really nice to have that 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 sort of low level sort of dirty feeling of like these are real people and this is the situation they're stuck in and these are their motivations which is really cool because i feel like we don't always see that 
uh, in the Age of Sigmar. Mm. But I also feel like there were some stories where it it felt it felt almost forced. Uh, and I just felt like, eh, I, I guess I'm just not as in- invested in this particular person's story. Uh, and so I would say if you really like uh, Age of Sigmar stories just generally, the, there's there's definitely a lot to read here for you. And if you're really just focused on like one particular warband, grab that story, read about them. Mm. Uh, well, my take is uh, very similar. Recommend it if you if you like the warbands. I enjoyed it for that uh, specific thing. Is I, I have play a lot of underworlds, play try to play a lot of warbands, and it was fun to get the perspective some some more than others. If you are not somebody who plays underworlds, though, like where else are you going to get a point of view from uh, an ogre trapper uh, or? uh you know a a zinch warband or you know that there's the there's a lot of perspectives that are just not out there um and then my other recommendation is uh somebody who's looking for some new authors like we we have uh not not a ton of different uh age of sigmar authors right now like that are active uh and there's a lot of new names here and uh on this podcast we don't really listen to or read much in the in the vein of 40k so i don't know if uh some of these authors uh our dabble in 40k it does if, if i'd done any research whatsoever i would have read the stuff in the back that says what else they've written um, <laughs> but, uh, some uh, of them yeah some of them are 40k like ex- what would have been exclusively 40k authors uh, but sure. not all of them but uh the, the point being that there's a lot of names here that are uh new uh completely new or relatively new to aos uh and that's kind of fun kind of refreshing and we may see more from them so and this might be your first look at somebody who might be writing more aos in the future we'll find out that's got it. Uh, shall so, we? I did have oh, one final thought, actually, based shall on Shall we whole detour discussion. to Paul's side <laughs> note? Um, if you're looking for tight narratives where you're introduced to a character and you stick with that character throughout the whole story, this is a really good book to read for that. If you don't like, like, wandering, going to different perspectives, etc., right? Like, all of these stories were super tight um, and focused on the um, actual um, antagonist, protagonist, excuse me. So that was kind of a refreshing difference um, for Warhammer stories. So I like that. And that was unique to me. Fair. Uh, spoilers. Let's get into it. Yeah. All right. Uh, there are 11 stories here. Uh, we are going to give a brief summary of each and then some share some thoughts on those. And then we'll give a overall wrap up. Um, but uh, we're not going to do a blow by blow. Uh, some because that may not be totally interesting. Some because I read this uh, over quite a stretch, and so I'm not going to remember blow by blow for each of these. So. <laughs> Try and stop me. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is this is where uh, this is where Aaron really gets into his own. So we open on a scene of. <laughs> Uh, I know you're not going to do that because I'm looking at the same notes you are, and that's what you go off of. Are we? There's no way you're doing this straight off the dome. I challenge you. No, of course uh, not. Yeah. All right. Uh, so there, our first story is The Mountain's Call by Graham Lyon. Uh, and this story is the longest in the book, I do believe, uh, mm-hmm. by page count. If not, it's it's tied. It's very close. Um, and this is uh, – uh, there's – several points of view there is a human survivor from gur uh and uh miari's purifiers who are arriving in gur so we're seeing them before they've even made it inside beast grave 
Uh, and then uh, we also uh, get the point of view of the Dread Pageant, who have been there for a while, and they're already aware of how it works. They already know that you can uh, live and die and live again. Um, and it is their their central conflict that's covering. So the, the uh, Miaris are being brought there uh, by a vision uh, sent to them by Teclas. Mm-hmm. And the Dread Pageant yep. are there attempting to torment the mountain itself, which is a real boss move. Um, they know that the mountain is hungering for death. And, uh, right now it's even worse because the Cataphrane curse has arrived. And so rather than the mountain has, Beast Grave has always lured people to itself with promises of, you know, whatever they desire most. And they get in there, get trapped and die. And it feeds off of that now because they die, but then are born again right away. It doesn't actually get to feed off. So it's being tormented. It's having this hunger that, that can't be, uh, can't be sated and the dread pageant that's not enough they're going to uh torture people until they're almost dead and so uh keep the mountain really uh really upset so if you want to torture a mountain i guess you better be a hedonite of slanesh um and it's, it's about that conflict anyone else got something to add on the overall uh summary of that well i think uh this book this short story excuse me it's definitely the intro short story. Um, we mm. start outside of Beast Grave. Mm-hmm. We're introduced to the two main um, warbands in the box set for Beast Grave. Mm-hmm. Um, the The Human Survivor was kind of an interesting twist because the Human Survivor was not part of any warband that I'm aware of, and provided a lot of the uh, narrative thrust going forward. Um, it was interesting to me that the it talked about the confidence and um, the the faith that the purifiers had in their mission um, and how they were a very kind of disparate force. It focused a lot on the different actual models that were in it and what their beliefs were. Um, So I enjoyed that aspect of this story a lot because it seemed to really allow each individual to be a character and Mm. to have their own motivation, um, including the human survivor. So that was kind of cool. Um, and uh, the the narrative thrust of getting into the mountain and introducing you to the mountain itself of Beast Grave and figuring out what it's all about. I, I did enjoy that for sure. Yeah, um, definitely agree with everything Paul said. Um, this is like this almost feels like a story they should have included with the uh, with the Direchasm box because it's almost like this this is the perfect setting to understand mm-hmm. these two new warbands and like get you on the ground f- understanding what's going on with the narrative. So I I feel like it's it's perfect for Direchasm to have this story, mm-hmm. um, and and I do think that that the point you made about how it it sort of introduces you to the mountain and sort of how it works is super important because it sort of, it lays the groundwork for understanding like, how is it that the game sort of fits into the story? And mm-hmm. it's like, you, well, you have this constantly shifting mountain and like literally it reshapes itself constantly. And like, it sort of forces all these different groups into different parts of the mountain and further down to try and eat them. And by doing that and funneling them all together, it's creating conflict all the time. And so that's basically where the game happens is that you get these forces coming together. And that's sort of the, the interesting uh, conflict points in Dark Chasm. Sure. Um, I, 
I, I agree with everything that's been said, so I won't add too much on that. But um, I like that they need to come up with creative ways for reasons for the warbands to uh, be here. And mm-hmm. I don't. There's there's few warbands that have as creative and uh, interesting sort of purpose as the Dread Pageant does in terms of their goal of you know actually torturing the mountain, as Davey was was talking about. And so it's great to see. It's one thing to to hear that or like see it written in a little warband description in the in the rules somewhere, but to actually sort of see what that see it played out to see like what they think about that mission and sort of uh, have it expanded upon is is both my favorite part of this story and my favorite parts of the stories to come as well as just to sort of see that expansion of their um, motivations and so this was a as others have said is a great way to start because it's a unique weird sort of purpose Mm. uh, and that really sets the stage for um, this and other stories. Yeah, and and like we said, we're getting both perspectives. We're getting the perspective of uh, a warband that is not yet aware of the death and rebirth, and a warband that is well aware of it. And so you get to see like both sides of that, which is kind of cool. Like the the uh, you know growing horror of what exactly is going on, and uh, um, those who have found a way to. I mean, the dread pageant really dig it. You know, it's it's cool for them. Uh, so that's a pretty good summary of that. Does anybody have anything else they wanted to hit before we move on to the next story? So, yes, I really like the addition of the human survivor here. Her whole tribe Mm. was slaughtered, and she's on this uh, kind of idea of revenge. But she also ends up in Beastgrave. Um, She's the only character that gets a ton of time in this story who is not a model that we know of. Um, Mm. And doesn't even get a name. Doesn't even get a name. And ends up in Beastgrave. So what happens to this human survivor? I'm, I'm super intrigued to find out if we're going to hear what happens to this person uh they die but the question is mm-hmm. do they get reborn right like yep. they're, they're, yeah. you know they die without without their name but they don't they entered the mountain along with this l4 band but they whoever this is they don't they aren't reborn with the war band so mm-hmm. uh not quite clear exactly what the rules for rebirth are with the cataphrane curse yep um tbd but yeah uh that's it. Uh, so next story was Last Rite of the Hag Queen by Dale Lucas. In this one, the overall summary is uh, Morgwaith of the uh, Blade Coven. Uh, they are uh, the sisters of Cain, daughters of Cain, daughters of Cain warband. Uh, they, we kind of jump in media res. They are fighting uh, Slanesh followers. And then uh, as they describe them more thoroughly, you realize this is not the Dread Pageant. These are... Uh, I, I don't want to say generic, but generic uh, Slanesh Hedonites. How dare uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we figure out that they're here. They're, they're on a mission from God, uh, <laughs> from specifically their, their demigod. They're almost God. Uh, at the time of this writing, I don't think uh, Marathi had ascended to become Marathi Cain. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Correct. They are they are looking for a shard of Cain here. She sent them here, uh, but then the the central conflict is why were they sent here? Were they sent here as like you're you're my favored ones? Uh, we need you to accomplish this mission. Or are they sent here uh, because Morgwaith expressed some doubts, however subtle, at some point, uh, mm-hmm. and the the cascading effects of that and Morgwaith deals with uh, with that herself, where she's dealing with a potential mutiny. Um, once you get stuck down in a ever changing uh, hellish pit and the first place they they get to the first uh uh temple they get to is already already looted after she's you know totally sure yeah it's here 
we're about to we're about to be triumphant just kidding all we got is some cobwebs and dust uh and so there's a lot of uh, actually daughter versus daughter uh daughter of cain versus daughter of cain combat in this uh a conflict in combat um and it's them overcoming that and proceeding on uh and how they go about solving that and, and moving on to uh regain their confidence and attempt more questing um what are people's thoughts about this have i missed anything or what uh, what did you get out of this i thought this was an interesting kind of dissection of faith um and it brings up a theme that we continue to see in a couple other short stories or that as Morgwaith has her inner dialogue, it starts to be interjected with these other thoughts mm. that she doesn't necessarily assign to herself or with her confidence. Um, and there's a lot of that in this story where she's like, not sure if she's supposed to be here or exactly what's going on. Um, and then another theme that keeps getting brought up is that she's keeps being directed to these places and has this feeling that like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be exactly what I'm looking for. And then it turns out to be something that leaves her hungry. Um, mm. And that seems to be a theme of the stories is that the mountain itself is hungry and it makes the characters themselves hungry, but it fails to fulfill them all the time. Right. Which mm. seems to be a bit of a metaphor for beast grave itself. It is a hungry mountain that seeks to consume those that come within and yet fails to consume them at least completely. Right. And they are reborn again. Um, so I, I thought that was very interesting. It also deals with a lot of things that we kind of come into more closely when we're talking about the broken realms, where we talk about Kire, who is the, um, the Scytheborn, the snake lady versus Morgwaith, who is a hag queen. And the difference in the faith between the Sethborn and the Hag is an interesting um, point of plot difference, which I, I enjoyed. Phil, yeah. you got any takes on this? <laughs> well, uh, I I really enjoyed seeing some of the like doubts that these like you sort of think of these warbands as being like very sure of themselves. They know like they're in this place, but they're like super skillful and you just sort of, at least I've always sort of assumed that they're sort of like maybe the pinnacle of their kind of, you know, unit from larger age of Sigmar universe. Um, and in this case that maybe there's, there's some shadows of doubt on that. And, uh, and maybe, maybe they are just sort of regular chumps and they just happened to show up in this place um which i thought was interesting and then and then just this sort of look at how the uh society for the daughters of cain probably works because of the internal conflicts that happen just within these five uh and and you can kind of extrapolate from the discussions about how um marathi sort of you know, she bestows this honor on this person who has been talking about her, you know, se supposedly secretly to sort of say, hey, maybe maybe Marathi is, you know, maybe she's not the end all be all. And then it's like, I have this great gift for you. You get to go and like explore this mountain and it's going to be wonderful for you. But, but is it really like, is she really just stabbing her in the back and getting rid of her because she's been bad mouthing her and 
it sort of gives you this this sense that their society is a little bit backstabby and uh sure. or a lot of it or maybe, all bit. Of it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe all of it is you know yeah uh yeah I, and it, it's a not fun but it's an interesting uh conflict that she's feeling where she's she's like you know if marathi knew that i had doubts then yeah this is probably like a wild goose chase and i'm being punished but if she didn't know then maybe this is legit or maybe if she wasn't sure and so like yeah. all that and then beast grave is all about those those doubts and torment and all that sort of thing so that feeds into that as well uh for me i like daughters of kane that's that's actually an army book i uh, have never actually read. I'm not much of a Marathi fan. Uh, and so this is like, you know, as exposed to the, their background as I've, I've gotten in a while. And so it was interesting for that, even though like, it's not my favorite faction. Sorry, Chuck Moore, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, so for, for that, I enjoyed it. Even if it wasn't a faction that I would instantly think like, this is something I want to learn about, more about. Um, Aaron, any thoughts or should yeah, we move to, on to the next? To build off of what Phil was saying in terms of the Marathi relationship, um, I think this is a, new, a unique sort of relationship that we don't necessarily get between characters and I'll say their gods, or in this case, their demigods. Um, sometimes you get characters wondering, well, am I doing what my god wants me to do? Am I interpreting their desires or needs? Or sometimes they wonder, is, is my god even listening? Are they even paying attention? Um, am I doing the right thing? Uh, it's rare that you get a... Uh, a my God hates me and wants me to die relationship. <laughs> but uh, when you're dealing with the daughters of Cain, that's uh, apparently what we ha- have on our hands. I-, I tend to believe that that's the situation that they're finding themselves in. And then the second thing I'll, I'll bring up is that I think uh, the author and I, it was Dale Lucas, right? Yeah. Uh, did a pretty admirable job in terms of differentiating each of the war band members. I sure. tend to think of the daughters of Cain as f- relatively monolithic and, hmm. By no means are they, you know, stark contrast to each other. But at the very least, he he instilled some sort of personality on most of them, such that I I, I understood and could recognize that oh, yeah, this person's different than this one. One's particularly young and hot headed, and the mm-hmm. the snake lady is, um, you know, she's she's mistrustful and maybe a little, you know, um, um, sabotagey, so to speak. So in doing so, um, I think it helped them stand out to me. Whereas before, I didn't know a lot of their individual backgrounds so good job Dale yeah. Lucas yeah I think he did a really good job of characterizing the models into the characters that is a yeah. good job all right the uh the next story up was the knob blade by Denny Flowers and it is tough to see the name Denny without thinking of the room but uh we'll leave that there um <laughs> you're tearing the, me apart uh, the uh the plot of this we're we're following uh spike claws swarm and it starts out uh at the end of a battle with i think they're fighting the spoilers some beast men yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. the spoilers have the uh unfortunate role of doing the same thing they do in aos which is (laughs) be the opponents a number of times uh if not the whipping boys at least uh the uh the faceless uh enemies that get get got um but the the result of this fight is that uh a spike claw ends up or scritch i should say ends up with uh, a warp stone amulet that's a that's a thing he wanted out of this fight and he gets it and then he starts having visions and it's funny because he, he gets it and he's like yeah i really want this uh but uh there's a good chance i'm gonna end up crushing it down for warp stone snuff at some point like yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, you do. as you yeah. do yeah uh, this is this is a war band uh, that knows about the life death cycle. Like he's he's aware of it, um, 
but uh, this vision leads him to uh, commune with a vermin lord um, in the uh, the great horned rats domain, uh, which is a very terrifying thing for uh, any Skaven to, to be part of. Uh, but he gets basically assigned a mission and is to find uh, a find this the uh, titular gnaw blade, uh, which is a blade that was forged with a combination of sigmarite and warpstone, if I remember correctly. Uh, yep. And it was uh, thrown down, or no, the problem was it was like so powerful, it ended up accidentally cutting through reality and coming to rest here, like mm-hmm. carved its way and then somehow ended up in Beast Grave. And this uh, vermin lord says, look, like, and, you know, for those who are not aware that Skaven have a long history of, of uh, hating on Nagash. Um, and the vermin lord is saying, hey, look, you can get this sword and you can start causing some final deaths like deaths that actually matter here instead of the dying reborn. Uh, that's how powerful the sword is. And guess what, Scritch? It's your lucky day. You got picked to go get it. And definitely there's no downside to this. And don't worry about that and go get it. Uh, and so the rest well, of... Don't they explicitly ahead. tell him he can, he's uniquely qualified to go get it because he himself can't die. And so like... Yeah, exactly. Or, am I jumping ahead? But No, no, that's 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 true. Uh, so... <laughs> He uh, he goes and then the final conflict is uh, him. He gets to fight uh, with some uh, far striders. I think you can. They they're not named, but you can recognize them. There's a there's a, a star falcon and there's uh, their what's the uh, chamber rangers. They're uh, the vanguard. vanguard. Yeah, vanguard stormcast. Uh, he even gets his hand on the blade right before his hand is cut off, and the blade cuts its way down through and is lost again. Um, uh, it's it's a little more dramatic than that, but that he he does uh, wake back up, and this is an interesting thing that the warband itself it's a five fighter warband, um, but three of them are are there are always more there they're kind of generics and they're so this is actually uh, a, a warband that's much bigger than the five. Which once I remembered that piece of it, I was like, oh right, like hungering Skaven and lurking Skaven. Those are those are archetypes. They're not an actual mm-hmm. you know character, uh, and so. Um, for me, I'll, I'll jump to what I found interesting. It was, it was interesting to see a warband that knew about the life and death cycle, uh, from a race that is notorious for being short-lived for backstabbing and assassination, uh, and to see how that dynamic plays out when all of a sudden, like final death is not actually in play. And that, that's, you know, that's to the side, that's the warband itself. Um, and then the flip of that is they're going after this blade and, and, Paul, I'm sure you picked up on this. This uh, it's really felt like the fell blade from the world that was. Yep. Um, as a as a you know ultimate tool for you know messing up Nagash's plans. So those are those are my takeaways from this that I particularly enjoyed. Well, and you have to wonder, like I, I definitely had feelings of is the gnaw blade right, which is the thing that fell into the warp, the thing that this vermin lord used to get Skaven into the uh, pyramid to mess up with Nagash, right? Like that feels a lot like what this story felt like to me. Um, the other thing I really appreciate about this story is that because they knew that everybody was going to die, it very much seemed like this setting was tailor-made for Skaven and for Scritch to not care about killing all their underlings constantly. Like, 
It was more yeah. of just like, well, of course, of course, all the underlings are going to die because they're supposed to die. But then them coming back is like, oh, I am destined for greatness. I have infinite Skaven to sacrifice for my will. So I thought that was super fun. Yeah. And and it's it's interesting that like this, even knowing that the Skaven nature still comes through and they're still very craven and they they don't really want to die and like. <laughs> He has to like force them to go into fighting, even though they they can't really die forever. Yeah. Um, and he still doesn't want to put himself into any danger. Like he's obviously more skilled than the rest of them, but he's always like standing at the back, like get them, get them. Why aren't you like doing stuff better? Well, um, and, yeah, and it says the place of honor at the back. Yeah, <laughs> you always lead from the back. Obviously. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I feel like this gave a really great uh just sort of profile of Skaven. Um, and we get to see them a couple more times in the other stories. And it, it sort of all tracks as how they're all functioning. And they're just this constant nuisance and beast grave. Yeah. I, I did enjoy the um, Scritch versus his second in command kind of dynamic of, Oh, he's going to, he's going to betray me eventually. Um, that was, that was a fun little thing too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. right there. It does what it says on the tin. He's Kirk, the almost trusted, you know, yep. like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that they gave Kirk a little bit of personality too, though, that he was in some ways sure. a little bit of like a simpleton kind of, and that's part of why he's almost trusted is because he may not necessarily have the brains to do anything about it. Too, um, yep. when you, when you guys are talking about like sort of the, the Skaven way, um, is part of like, you know, combat and how they com- you know, comport themselves and, and, and fighting others. Um, I also thought it was interesting to get the insight as to like when they were by themselves and like how he would sacrifice a Skaven to feed the other Skaven because they were so hungry. And so like you just pick the weakest one out <laughs> yeah. of you, feed them to everybody. Uh, yeah. Of course, there, it doesn't sati- satiate them, but like that Skaven's going to come back eventually and sort of that dynamic of the tenuous hold he had over his uh, swarm, I guess you'd say. Uh, and like, I mean, and, and as we know, towards the end where there was a, he was losing control because of the, you know, the defeat that they uh, faced, like that was a new perspective. Like what, what does it mean uh, if you can't scare your followers into following you because they know they can't die? Like that has to be a temporary uh, tenuous uh, position to find yourself in. So that wasn't, to see that interestingly played out um, was I think the highlight of this story for me and then the other thing i bring up is is that warp bl- or the knob blade is that an item in the game no uh it is not uh mm-hmm. there there is uh you I, I was trying to decide if it could be like the there was a was it the he- hero slayer was that the sword from the first but there's that, hero slayer there's also yeah, the that, cursed blade yeah which maybe it could be something like that but S- not, none of those quite match up with how crazy powerful yeah i guess the curse blade feels closer here you know um the thing i'll say is it's stories like this are often fun when you get a whole bunch of like um easter eggs for like the game and so the people who know the game can point out well that's really cool because i know this from this or that from the (laughs) game and so because that kind of a missed opportunity that they didn't include an item that like you know players would know because i feel like they would do a better job to like really pull them in but and next time that's a fair point uh it it is it was cool to see the effects, you know, this ever present hunger, which has um, become more pronounced in the dire chasm season, uh, how, how it affects uh, Skaven, a race, which are cursed with this like black hunger, which in itself is a, a card that you can put on uh, hungering Skaven. Um, 
that's a that's something that they've dealing with that, that existed in the world that was right paul I'm yeah right. absolutely about that. Mm-hmm. yeah so uh amplifying what already is a you know feature of these guys to start with uh, and how it hits them so um and then i think the other thing it it, it kind of mentions here when this builds in some other stories is uh even the people who know that they could live again, like dying still sucks. Uh, yep. and the accumulation yep. of many deaths, uh, it can really kind of wear on you like it does, you know, um, <laughs> dying, dying lots of times, a real drag. Yeah. Uh, so all, all the, all the memories of, of the agony of that moment of death are, are pretty rough unless you're built in a particular way, uh, AKA dread pageant. So, mm-hmm. um, any, any other thoughts or on to the next? I guess just that this story, I think probably has the first like really sort of dark moment. And I, it's the one Aaron mentioned where he's like, Oh yeah, that's the weak one. Okay. Everybody eat him. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. don't worry about stuff. And like, I feel like some of these stories had more of that than others. And, it, and there were honestly parts where I was like, okay, uh, I get it. We We can probably not like, go into all the details so um i don't know it was interesting that they like had that balance where sometimes they went really dark for the horror aspect and then other times it was like eh, people get it we don't need to yeah do the blow yeah i mean it's a different authors how they what they choose to emphasize so that's that's kind of the fun thing with this uh i i definitely got that vibe in some of the other stories i didn't uh this one didn't hit me in the way that it, it seems to have have hit you there but some other ones like i was really i really got the horror vibe strong in some others uh speaking of horror vibe claws <laughs> of famine anyone oh man by miles a drake uh so this uh i almost want to talk uh, aaron i'm coming to you first after the after the summary because um but uh this we start out with uh a a, a noble noble woman named valreek i'm mean, maybe not literally noble but she she's real hungry this woman she's been uh trying to pursue a bray shaman as part of this small hunting party uh their their uh fortress held out against this awful siege but the the beastmen you know kind of had really put turned the screws to them on this siege and now they're now they're out you know trying to trying to uh, get a little revenge uh trying to uh you know, redeem the terrible ordeal that their city went through for anyone who's played it and already knows that Valreek is uh, a member of the grim watch. They know that she's a gnarly looking ghoul. That's not how she's described. Uh, and again, we, we know this about the grim watch. They have this delusion that they are not in fact, uh, awful cannibalistic naked savages. Um, they, they see themselves as like, uh, you know, noble knights and, and such. Uh, and so the central part of this story is that, uh, these reflections, which is something that we saw a lot in shade spire, you know, it was all the, Mm -hmm. all the, uh, shade glass. Uh, we Mm -hmm. see that to a different extent with, uh, the Amber there's, there's all this, uh, Amber that's either solidified, uh, or, uh, molten. We see that all through here. And so you can again and again, you know, the rooms are talked about as being, you know, lit with this, uh, eerie yellow light. Um, and so Valrique is having flashbacks, having nightmares and losing track of what's real and what's not, you know, and, and, and as, as Valrique encounters more and more trauma becomes hungrier and hungrier, 
the idea that she's not actually part of this noble hunting band and may in fact be a ghoul herself starts to uh, fray her mind. Um, and uh, it culminates in her, you know, kind of having to almost decide like, am I, am I giving in to the delusion? You know, w- would I rather be deluded or not? Um, and I, I found this really fun. I don't, uh, I don't yeah. know what other, what, who had some thoughts about this one here? Um, I really enjoyed this one because it really, like, this is definitely a horror story, right? This is a mm. psychological horror story to me. Um, yeah. the, it's, the story starts out very like, you know, medieval royalty, like everybody is just this fantastic individual. And then Valrique eventually gets separated from her party. And it just becomes this like isolated fear running from everything. And at some point she even runs from her own warband because yeah. the Amber shows her what they really are yeah. instead of who it is that she thinks that they are. Right. And she only thinks that they are these noble people because she has consumed the blood of the Lord. Like that's the lore for flesh eater courts. You share in the delusion of the general of the army, as it were, right? Yeah. But yeah. it slowly is revealed in flashbacks and in, like, you know, waking dreams that her tribe was actually conquered by the flesh eater courts and she held out, but eventually gave in to consume from this general who has sent her and this hunting party into beast grave to finally take revenge on this mage, uh, this beastman mage that has fled into it. And the last scene before she really understands what's going on, she just keeps having these flashbacks of hanging on a wall and watching this terrible carnal feast before her. And then realizes that this was reality and then is rescued, etc., and eventually has to basically decide that that it was a dream, and this is reality, because otherwise I'm crazy, right? Like yeah. it, was a, it was like a serious, dark and fantastically written uh, point of view that like it it delivered on all the promise that the Flesh Eater Court's battle tome had. And in a very short, short amount of time, too, I was immensely impressed. And as you pointed out, the Amber, the Amber really starts to serve as a really interesting vehicle to um, belie the intent of the characters or to become an agent Mm. of the mountain itself. Mm. Um, So that was that was that was a really cool turning point for me in this anthology. So I've already established that I don't know anybody's names. And so when I first started reading this and it was this, you know, human like hunts master, uh, I think some of the other stories, they'd already shown characters that weren't in the game. And so maybe I was dumb for believing this, but I thought, all right, well, this is just like a, a cities of Sigmar, like free guild uh, mm. group oh, uh, awesome. up until like a page or two in until, yeah. and I had told oh, you guys man, while I was reading amazing. it, they said something about it until they said something about noble king. And like that, that is like a trigger <laughs> word in that like whenever a noble king is mentioned, uh, you, you immediately think a uh, flesh eater course. And, and like, so like the light bulb went off, I turned the page and then 
um, it, it makes it very clear that that's what's going on. And then, then yeah. I quick had to Google Valrique Underworld. And I'm like, oh, dang it. Yeah, okay. No, she is a, she <laughs> you is Googled a in the middle of the story? Oh, you never Google in the middle of the story. I read on my phone. So like my, <laughs> the Google's right there. Um, yeah. So, but like that, the, I was, I, I had to set it down. I had to like lean back in my chair and just think about like, ah, uh, book, you got me. You tricked me. Uh, good yeah. job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the, one of, well, just that was one of the, one of the highlights of the anthology for me. Um, I think this is maybe the first story that I've ever read from the perspective of, of a flesh eater court. And maybe it's the only one that exists, which that seems surprising. Mm. There's got to be others. I just no, haven't, I haven't I, read them. I, there's a horror anthology. I definitely remember reading yes. from their perspective. There's a short story in White Dwarf as well. It inserts some of the plot into uh, Broken Realms Techless um, that is from the Flesh Eater Courts as well. And that was that was a really fun one too. Well, from here on out, I think all stories should be told from the perspective of the Flesh Eater Courts because this one was such a, a fun uh, read. And um, it 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 makes so much sense. Like the, the way it was put together, it really convinced you as to how and why a, f- a flesh eater might think that they are something else. Like it, there was a very clear yeah. one-to-one comparison to everything that they were saying. And yeah. um, like my, one of my favorites was the fact that the, she continuously considered the, the bats, like the Harriers yeah. as, as Hawks. And like she, you'd hear an echo down the hall and she's like, it sounded like a, sh- like a bat shriek, but that it must've been some other creature or something down there. <laughs> not realizing that it was what she thought were the Hawks flying down the tunnels. Um, so that like kept coming up. And uh, it was it was a it was a delight. I just loved sort of seeing what she thought she saw versus what I knew to be true um, for each yeah. of these uh, characters. So that was neat. I, I want to return to some of that, but we haven't heard from Phil yet. Phil, you got any takes on this? It was, I think, by far and away my favorite story in this anthology. Mm. And yeah, it like getting. I've always liked the idea of how they have this grand delusion that they're you know great knights and they are serving for their lords and and it's always fun to think about how like oh they you know they have no sense of being these strange cannibalistic vampires but to actually like see the psychological shift as she starves and like starts to like have the magic of the delusion fade and like trying to figure out what's real and what's not and like trying to decide like is is my memory of what I think is real, real or is what I'm seeing real. And like, uh, it was just so good to see this constant struggle. Uh, and I, I, they don't really address it, but I kind of wonder like, is this a thing that can always happen? And it just doesn't because there's usually enough food that they don't like get so hungry that this happens. Or is this just mm. a, a one-off thing that Valerie has to deal with um and either way i think it's compelling yeah i i think there was actually some kind of um background where they have to continually feed or continually drink the blood in order to continue the delusion um mm-hmm. but that may have been my own headcanon i'm not 100 percent sure yeah um, possibly i mean i know she's very driven by hunger and it's hard to say you know what what things are generated by beast grave being beast grave and what things yeah. are the effect of being uh, a ghoul um I, you know it's all like examples of some of the stories out like they uh they defeat uh they fight the ungors a few times they, they actually fight the despoilers more than once in this and uh when she's in her delusion she's like oh like thank god they had rations on themselves they, they have some of their yeah you know, pillaged ration uh bags 
and you're like, oh man, I know she's just like looking at their juicy thighs or something. <laughs> yeah. <you're> like, <laughs> yep. So, Get me some goat leg. Yeah. Um, I hear some of the things I want to touch on is uh, I, I noticed, you know, some of this with this delusion, there's like these, uh, you know, parallels with uh, the matrix and I guess whatever 25 year old spoilers here, but uh, uh, the, you know, there's uh, what's cipher Joe Pantoliano's uh, mm-hmm. character where he's talking about like, you know, when I'm there, I can taste that steak. Like, doesn't mm-hmm. matter if that, that, you know, medium rare steak is real or not. Like I can taste it. Like it's, you know, if you're yep. in this position where you're like, well, I can either deal with reality where I'm like, realize I'm a horrible cannibal or I can like give into the delusion where I'm actually like noble and doing good things and people care for me. Um, like that's a, that's a pretty tough choice or maybe it's mm-hmm. not a tough choice, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, yeah. uh, like maybe you, you just say like, okay, like it's just better to go with the delusion. Mm-hmm. And, and then on that same note, like when she's in that delusion, they really seem to care for each other. Like the, the yep. Duke is like genuinely benevolent to her. Like, you know, that some of the others are like, I don't think she's going to make it. Let's move on. He's like, no, like she can feed for me, you know, like, uh, it was cool. And you know, some of the best cards in, in underworlds are the ones that are, are translations of something that a ghoul is saying, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, translation, uh, halt finds her, you know, do you not admire my beautiful cape or whatever the case may be, you know? So, uh, <laughs> well, like, the thing I really appreciate about the story is that, um, it was such a wonderful dark parallel to the story of a Stormcast, where mm. at the last mm. moment of defeat, they are taken and brought to absolute victory, right? And they have to deal with mm. the reforging. And mm-hmm. this story is at the last minute of defeat, they give in and they must yeah. deal with that over and over through death and death and death. And I thought that sure. was a really well done parallel between the two. Um, the only negative I have about this story is that now I really, really, really just want a Cities of Sigmar warband for Underworlds that looks as amazing <laughs> as they described in this story. Because that like, <laughs> sounds absolutely fantastic. Well, I think you're not alone in wanting a Cities of Sigmar warband. Um, I hmm. uh, I think we found a, uh, a you know general favorite so far. I, I went back and found the, the message I sent you guys as a reading. I said, hmm, this is this fourth is my first real page turner. So yeah. Uh, you know, yep. I enjoyed stuff before this. This is the first one where I was like, I gotta get back and keep going on this. But yeah. Uh, we we all agree we like it. Any last thoughts or should we we can keep on moving? Uh, a final thought that I have is I think for most of this story I understood how she was able to delude herself into like thinking that she was a normal person and you know, they had ration bags and the bats were hawks etc cetera, etc cetera. um but the fact that she didn't bat an eye at the fact that her lord was gonna let her drink his blood from his arm and then didn't mm. seem to bother her at all um sure. is that something they normally is that a regular do most dukes do that is that a you regular mean, thing you mean you don't drink your duke's blood on a regular basis no and i guess okay well i suppose that, <laughs> that's my own shortcoming and i need to grow past yeah. that i guess you need to get a better duke my man yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we'll go from that to another one I quite liked, uh, The Chains of Fate, and this is by Nicholas Wolfe. Uh, this one's from Eyes of the Nine Perspective. There you go, Phil. Shout out to Adam F. Yeah. and Eric Eric, who uh, I know are uh, big Eyes proponents. Uh, and you would think that you'd have a point of view from Vortimus being the boss man, but we don't. We we are uh, we have a point of view from Kacharik, which was 
really unexpected, uh, but really cool. Uh, Kacharik here is giving us his take because, uh, so he's been bound to Vortimus Kacharik, I guess I should mention for people who don't know, is a Zangor. Uh, and there's a card in the game, uh, and uh, Aaron, this is your, your little shout out. There's a card here, and nobody takes this upgrade, but it is uh, Eidetic Memory. Uh, which means, you know, photographic nice. memory, like everything you see, you remember. And somebody looked, you know, this Nicholas Wolf looked at that car and said, all right, I can do something with this. Thank you, Nicholas. So, yeah. So he explores this idea of like, what if you were in this eternal cycle of uh, death and rebirth and you remembered <laughs> it all? Yeah. Uh, and that is Kacharik. And so it's amazing because like Vortimus will give some speech and he's, you know, being all like, uh, you know, uh, children, you, you know, you, uh, you should know that we are blessed by Zinch. And Kacharik is sitting in the back thinking like, I've heard this speech 46 times. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly 46 times has he delivered this same speech. Uh, Kacharik has died 649 times. He says, I've been sacrificed. Vortimus has sacrificed me 649 times. Uh, which given a typical eyes of the nine win rate, that sounds about right. Right. Yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, uh, this one gets a little gnarly right away. They, they uh, encounter a Kurnothi. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. remember which one it is. It may be Shiak, whatever it is. It's a yeah. Kurnothi and they don't recognize what it is. Uh, I think they're relatively newly arrived from Shadespire at this mm-hmm. point. They've just gotten to be scraping like, what are you? Well, we'll kill you, explode you, and then read your entrails, which they do. Uh, Slow motion explode him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he's frozen in time uh, as he, he's hanging in the air. So it's uh, like reading the chicken guts, but it's a sentient being. It's pretty pretty rough. Yeah. Um, and this this follows uh, their move through Beast Grave and Kacharik, you know, being real fed up with Vortimus and trying to figure out, like, when can I break free of this servitude? And he has some vision, which is, uh, it doesn't quite reveal it, what it what it's going to be. But the vision we come to learn is like his chance to maybe kill Vortimus and be free. And now that they're not in Shadespire, he might be able to actually kill Vortimus, like for real, real. Um, Turash and Narvia, the two uh, Kyric acolytes of the warband, uh, they've also seen something. And for them, it is a chance to return to Shadespire. Uh, unfortunately for them, they end up like disappearing. They're found later, like in the amber. Like, yeah. oh, that's you know, bummer for them. Uh, even worse for them is it turns out that they are like going through constant, like they come back to life in the amber. Oops, I'm in amber. Uh, I can't breathe. And so then, and I'm frozen in here. And so then I die. And so they're <laughs> so going dark. through like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Rough. Yeah. yeah. Really and yeah, it, is like, yeah and nothing can carve it's, through the amber like you can't get yeah. them out it's or just like ah until the mountain decides well, that you're released to to his credit kachar is like uh shouldn't shouldn't we uh do something <laughs> and reporter was like yeah yeah they they chose to cling to the past they they wanted to go back to shade spire forward is the way yeah. um pretty rough stuff uh Kicharik sees his moment uh i can't I do not remember who they're attacked by. They're attacked by somebody. Arrows are coming in. Kurnathi uh, again. The, yeah, Kurnathi. That's right. Be hunted. Yeah, yeah. So the Kurnathi are coming. The Kurnathi have figured out like what we need to do is go straight after Vortimus. Like he's the he's the real deal. And the Blue Horror gets to make a, a really brief arrival here. Um, and then uh, Kacharik is like, okay, 
like this is my chance i'm gonna i'm gonna you know instead of protecting bordemus and he's taking arrows like he's getting ready to you know get smoked himself and uh he's like instead of chopping down one of these elves i'm gonna i'm gonna swing at vortimus's head and i know him so well i've seen him so many times he's definitely gonna dodge left and he's gonna dodge right in the way of one of these arrows and we're not in shades bar anymore and he's gonna die and right as he's about to do it vortimus instead dodges right looks straight at kacharik smiles and gets his head cut off and you're like you know kacharik is like what uh he's like whoa he's dead i'm finally free he's like actually and he turns around like well now i gotta fight this whole war band myself but i've been through worse i can do this and uh, it turns out he can't. Uh, and he wakes up, and he has been reborn. The curse has followed them, and Vortimus apparently knew it all along. And Kachark is like, well, where are we going? And Vortimus says, to the dire chasm. So uh, that is the more detailed summary of, than any other one. You can tell <laughs> I, I enjoyed this. I had an eidetic memory of this story. Not really. Uh, but uh, uh liked it what do you guys have for thoughts i kind of dominated that one i i was excited about that one was this the only story that actually referenced direchasm as like a thing it's the only one that uh i think specifically did i think there were a couple other that that talked about like descending further uh there may have been one other that that talked about like getting down into the direchasm region just real quick one where somebody was like uh motivated to do so aaron what's up uh can can someone give me like the one sentence summary? What is the what is the dire chasm? I feel like we didn't talk about that at the beginning. Hmm, I, don't, I don't think there is like a solid definition. I think it's just like the deeper recesses of Beastgrave. Is it like silent people specific, or is it again a generic? So location? specifically, like as you get deeper, you're getting into the silent people areas. Okay. Um, yeah. I think so. Their, their presence is more apparent in, I see. in uh, the dire chasm. Okay, cool. That's all I had. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as someone who really enjoys the Eyes of the Nine, uh, at first, because of the perspective that we get from Kacharik, I was a little surprised because I thought that Vortimus was going to be a very different kind of character than he was. Um, like he almost felt dumb like (laughs) the way he was being very like braggadocious and just being like everything's gonna be fine because i've seen like i know everything trust me guys like i know exactly what's gonna happen and we're gonna be fine and it's gonna be great and we're doing everything that zinch wants us to do and kacharik's just like man this guy is such an idiot i've seen him do this so many times and it never works out (laughs) and i'm so sick of all of this i've just (laughs) been like shackled to this guy and he's just like the worst uh and but then at the end we kind of find out that well maybe maybe kacharik doesn't actually know as much as he thinks he knows yeah um and that just vortimus is just like 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 zinch really in a way is like yeah too totally focused yeah. on the future to like really be successful in the present he's like mm-hmm. no, no no it's like i know what's gonna happen it's gonna be fine but like when he says that he means like a hundred steps ahead. Um, yeah. And so they well, just get smoked constantly. <laughs> and so Vortimus is like a gaunt summoner, right? A no. magistrate. Uh, no, no, he's, he's, uh, okay. it, it talks about him being in service to a gaunt summoner. Okay. Yeah, he's a All magistrate. Right. That makes more sense to me. But um, with the, the Zangor, right? If he's an enlightened 
um, the Zangor Enlightened can see the future, right? And mm. the Zangar uh, Changebringers, uh, the ones on the disc, can see the past. Yeah. I think I they, don't think he's either of those. I think he's just a regular Zangor, and they talk about in the story how all of the like gifts that he has were uh-huh. things that Vortimus specifically gave him for okay. being in his service, but it also bound yeah. uh, Kacharik to Vortimus. Okay. Because it would be cool if he used, also used the Age of Sigmar rules for seeing in the future for the Zangar, as well as the the Underworld's rules of the eidetic memory to define the character. That's all. Mm. That was my thought. Sure. Um, that would have yeah. been cool. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, this is, for some reason, they didn't go that path. Yeah. This is the most, I don't know, I would probably say illiterate of the stories. Um, mm. it, it, it seems very well spoken from beginning to end because it's all from Kacharik's point of view and with his eidetic memory, it really presents a, a very interesting perspective on what's going on in Shadespire and then Beastgrave, which I thought was kind of fun. Mm. Well, I liked it cause it introduces a unique relationship, like intra, um, warband relationships that you know are unique to this warband uh, play out interestingly and um, uh, like sort of lend itself to being inter- be sort of interesting situations. Like at one point towards the end when uh, Kacharik is fighting off you know the, the Kurnathi and Vortimus calls him over and Kacharik thinks to himself he's like yeah, I mean I'm literally dying over here but like. <laughs> uh, anything to like to protect this guy's life, right? Like, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm dying over here. <laughs> um, it was I, I loved that sort of um, snarky, uh, I don't know, attitude uh, that he had. Um, and I think that's also one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite stories because of it. Uh, and then to, to say, or to say nothing of the fact that I also love the antagonists, which is, um, which were the Kurnathi Warband, and seeing them in action, sort of yeah. liter- literarily, um, really made me wish. <laughs> spoiler alert: that we could have gotten a pers- their perspective elsewhere, you know, in one of these yeah. stories. And it's kind of, to me, it's kind of a shame that we didn't. But I mean, I wish we got at their perspective from an Age of Sigmar army. Right? Well, yeah, there's Ooh. that too. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like they. Because of that, I feel like they probably have a very unique perspective, and I sure. hope that one day we'll get it, right? So whether here or oh. elsewhere, I would have liked to have seen it. Um, Paul, talk to me about Beastgrave real quick. Yeah, you, you should read Beastgrave, because right? there's a lot of Karnathi in Beastgrave. Mm. Um, it's, uh, they, are, they are one of the two main um, tribes that we're talking about in the novel, there's a- so... There's a there's a short story that was released about the same time. If you want a smaller taste, and I, I do. okay, I cannot remember what that one is called. Yeah, uh, um, we'll try and find that. But uh, that's that's another Kurnathi point of view. Yeah, I will say that this this portrayal of the Kurnathi felt a little bit more noble than the portrayal in mm. Beastgrave. Um, the the one in Beastgrave felt a little bit more feral to me, if that makes sense. So sure. if that affects yeah. your decision, but yeah, no, the, the they're definitely in the focal. mountain is probably what you're talking about. That's it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to read that. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Peace out. Good talk. Quiet for a while. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> all right. Next up was rage of the mountain by Danny Ware. Um, 
And this is from uh, Ripa's Snarlfang's perspective, which is fun. Uh, mm -hmm. When we were talking about it at the start, uh, getting perspectives that you're not going to get from other AOS fiction. Uh, basically, the only place that uh, uh, this kind of gets... Um, help me out, Paul. Not Gloomspite. These are... Uh, These would be what uh, was in Warhammer Fantasy, the common gets. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, the There's common... something for him when, when Age of Sigmar just started the, uh, but, uh, um, yeah, it, anyway, it, I mean, I... they, they had Grom the Paunch, uh, yeah. and the Wolf Riders and they had the chariots and stuff like that. So like, um, they were definitely their own faction, uh, but they were, um, given their own Chronicles rules. So sure. Yeah. Uh, but this Ripa and uh, Ripa, Stabit, and Minai are uh, here. They're trying to get this Lapa, and Ripa's mm -hmm. had a vision of this this big boss Lapa, and that is straight off his uh, straight off their background card, the card that comes with the Warband. That's what's brought them to Beast Grave. He's had this vision of this Lapa that's going to make him the the boss of all bosses and be able to ride roughshod all over all, all over Gur, and uh, in awesome Gits fashion, like they saw some. Uh, fire slayers walking and like oh, they got a pouch it's it's big enough that pouch is big enough it could have a lapa in it i bet you that's it i bet you that's my lapa and i bet yep. you i'm gonna get that lapa and so and so they're trying to set up traps it opens with uh mina and stabbit are having to dig a hole uh like a try and set up a pit trap and stabbit is like there's no way this is gonna work this is gonna fill with amber he's having to dig this stupid hole at the bottom of this you know uh this cavern and it's just going to fill with amber and he's like boss like this you know are you sure you want it here and Ripa's like shut up and keep digging and as soon as they get done digging it starts filling up with amber <laughs> and Ripa's like damn all right let's work <laughs> on something else <laughs> so they go set up a rock fall and on this one they uh they get a they have a stick like a, a bone staff that's kind of fused together like oh it's gonna be perfect we can lever these rocks it's gonna drop right on these stupid stunt stunt or uh they call them stumpies, I think. Yeah, but, yeah uh, I think so. Uh, they're like, this is going to be great. And they're all set up. And then uh, all of a sudden, all the rocks come tumbling down. And Rip was like, what the hell? And uh, Stab was like, well, I had to test it to make sure it would work. <laughs> well, of course. Okay, great. Uh, and so then they they go up and set up an elaborate trap on a bridge, which is going to be Ripa is, is uh, acting like the, the bait. Like he's going to try and uh, enrage these slayers. Uh, draw them onto the bridge. Minai is going to lob arrows at them from the far side of the bridge. And then Stabbit's going to sneak in behind them so they can't retreat. And then they'll be stuck on the bridge and they can they can get them and they can steal that sweet, sweet Lapa off of them. Uh, and uh, most of the rest of the story is that that conflict. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the slayers goes super berserk, which uh, Ripa recognizes as this kind of hunger. Like he's been feeling irritable and almost gives into this rage and hunger. And he recognizes being from the mountain and uh, the, the, uh, the slayer that has the Lapa eventually like plunges over the side and they're like, man, we lost it. Uh, I, but then I can't remember if it's Stabbit or Mina, but one of them is, is like, well, you know, people come back to life here. He's like, yeah. He's like, we come back to life with our stuff, right? Yeah. Well, what if he comes <laughs> back to life with the Lapa? And like, great point. You could still get the Lapa. And they're like, good enough for us. Let's keep going. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Uh, yeah. it was, it was short and to the point and pretty enjoyable for me. What, what did other people think? I yeah. definitely agreed. Um, it's fun to see like the dynamic of, uh, Ripa trying to be like the cunning boss. And then he's just got these two just idiots that he's got to <laughs> constantly cover up for and deal with. 
Um, well, kind of, but they're all idiots, right? Because, yeah. Like, well, yeah. Exactly. Abbott is like, this is going to fill up with Amber, and Ripa's like, I'm the boss, you know, and it does, you know. So like, they're yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's a real Three Stooges situation. Yeah, which I, I actually love that they're like <laughs> yeah. the Three Stooges with these dire wolves and <laughs> yeah, and, uh, Three Stooges on Wolfpack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like their plans weren't even like bad; they just didn't work. Um, uh, so I don't know. Like it was just fun and yeah. light. I actually I appreciated that it was sort of right in the middle, and it, yeah. it gave you a little bit of a break from some of the dark, like because it's kind of a dark setting, and then some of the stories get pretty heavy, and it's like, yeah, this was just a nice light gets being comic relief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just came off of Narvia and Turash dying, you know, 12 times <laughs> yeah, an hour forever. for eternity. You know, <laughs> like, it's pretty rough. So it was nice to lighten it up a little. Um, for one takeaway for me was uh, this, you know, we don't, we obviously don't see them uh, yet. Hopefully, maybe we'll see them in the bigger uh, thing. But this uh, actually had like a pretty cool relationship with their, their snarl fangs, their wolves, their dire yeah. wolves, where like, mm-hmm. you know, that it, they seem to like each other, you know, like the snarl fangs were looking out for them. The wolves were looking out for them. And like, they were like, it felt like almost a, a six fighter war band. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And as everyone knows who, who plays this war band, like the real power is those single dice wolf bites that always hit, you know? So uh, <laughs> it was, it was cool to see the, the wolves actually having a role in this as well. Yeah. The, the other thing was, I really enjoyed how the tactics for this war band seemed to come farther than the the board game allowed right there was a lot of like i'm going to send out one of them to go tempt everybody back into this trap right yeah um which was a a, it it was a fun thing for me i also really enjoyed how he just let them be malicious evil little children right (laughs) like and that was the fun part is they're just a bunch of malicious evil children and anything that provides a motivation works right so that yep. that was a, a very enjoyable part of the story for me. Any other thoughts on the Rage of the Mountain? Um, I'll just so, just so I can say I chimed in. Uh, I agree with most of what everybody said. It was a silly uh, story, and because of that I really did enjoy it. It was silly, but also still fairly violent too. So it was like a silly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was that that juxtaposition uh, there. Um, but all in all, I def- I, I did uh, enjoy it, and I think it was well placed in the book, like Phil was saying. Yeah, there's definitely a scale of violence in these kinds of stories because like it's Warhammer, everything's violent. But like there's a difference between slow motion, exploding bodies and like <laughs> chopping people up with arrows. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, we keep it in the green skin family here with the next one is Jabber Slides Grin by Ben Counter, uh, an established Black Library author. Uh, this is Iron Jaw Brutes rolling into Beast Grave to claim a prize. They're fighting a Jabber Slide, which is a monster we haven't heard about in a while. Yeah. Um, from as far as I know. Uh, but this specifically Morgok, uh, and Thug and Ardskull and a bunch of other dudes. Um, yeah. which is, if you know the war bands, uh, does not totally track because they're a, they're a three fighter war band, but there's all these other guys hanging out. Uh, this is, this is one of those examples where it's a war band 
unlike the eyes of the nine, which are well established from shade spire and have died and reborn a bunch of times. This is one of those that is just entering. This is the perspective of a warband just entering beast grave. And they are looking to take down a big beast and carry it back out and show that they're the biggest and toughest around. Very green skin kind of story. Uh, and they do get this jabber slice, uh, and then they have trouble getting out. And, uh, honestly, I don't remember a ton about this. There, there's, a. There's some iron jaw versus iron jaw fighting. They get tempted. They see the, one of the giant, they, they are uh, tempted by a vision of one of the cities of the silent people. Uh, and one of the <laughs> actually thug is like, I've heard about these. These are the silent people. I'm like, what is going on? How, like, how do you know? <laughs> I was like, how do you know about that? Also, your name is thug with two G's. I did not expect you to be like the bright one, but that's definitely how this story paints him is. He's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Like thugs, thugs, the smart one. Um, I had a couple of moments I enjoyed, but uh, uh, anyone want to add anything more to the story? Like they, they kind of keep descending uh, until they lose their war band. And then there's a rebirth where it's just the three that we know. Uh, and they kind of so, resolve to like, we're going to fight Beast well, Grave. But, it was that they were climbing back out, right? So they killed the Jabberslice and they were trying to get yeah. back out of the mountain. Right. And then they get ambushed by Skaven. Mm. And that's yep. what ends the story. And I felt like it had a very nice, like poetic ending where like when he dies, he sees the jabber slice with that, that grin and it's looking at him. Uh, sure. So it's like, yeah. Oh, did you really, did you really have a victory over the jabber slice in the end? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I don't know this, this one felt, I agree. It felt a little forgettable. Um, like I like the characterization of the greenskins, but it was a lot of just like they went to a place and then they fought stuff and then they like kept moving to go to a new place. Yeah. And yeah. then there was some internal conflict and then they kept going. Yeah. Yeah. This was the story that I made it the farthest into the story before I realized exactly which war band it was. Mm. Um, I, I don't know the names by heart. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, obviously it's an orc war band, but we had three of them. Yeah. Right. Like, by this point. And so I was like, which one of the three is it? And it was until it was like, Oh, it hit the breastplate. I'm like, okay, so they're iron jaws. Got it. (laughs) Right. Like, (laughs) um, so it it was okay. Um, I think this story suffered from being placed in between the two stories that were on either side of it. And I think that makes sense. Yeah. That's also one of my criticisms of the way that this was laid out is that we have three destruction um, war bands mm. in a row, and mm. I think that was a poor choice to put all That's three of them together. Point, because yeah. I really liked um, the Rage of the Mountain, uh, the Jabber's Life Grin. I think I would have liked more if it was not placed between that and Heart of the Beast. Um, yeah, I think that would have been. We're gonna better come back to this served. whole sequencing thing, but yeah, yeah. yeah, carry on. So that was that was pretty much my only thought about it. Is that I, I think the placement made it suffer a little bit from how high the story was before it to moving to this one. And then again, the story after it um, mm. was a lot more punchy. Aaron, any chimes to, yeah. Well, one of the things that made it suffer for me is because the antagonists weren't particularly like anchored in what I know about underworlds or beast grave or what have you is that it was kind of nameless, faceless Skaven um, so it wasn't Scritch's uh, swarm or Spike Cloud swarm. Um, and 
like the Jabber Slythe, although is something something we don't see all that regularly, because of that, I don't have a particular like attachment to it being defeated in any real way. And so there's like it kind of it's over two on sort of having adversaries that I care about in the context of this particular story. It was well written enough, and like like someone said, the characterization of the orcs were was was spot on and on point. Um, but the fact that it didn't feel like it needed to be a beast grave story at all. Um, I think knocked it off a few pegs uh, for me. Oh, and furthermore, the fact that it was like a whole uh, auric like fist as opposed to just like the three that we know also sort of removed it from the setting. Um, so I think I find some of my favorite stories in this anthology are the ones that like adhere closer to mm-hmm. the setting of the game as we know it. Um, mm-hmm. And this one diverged, you know, more than most. And I think in my opinion, it suffered for it. Sure. Uh, I think one moment I did particularly enjoy here is uh, uh, Art Skull decides to challenge for leadership of the war band. And yeah. uh, um, Morgok is, is actually kind of injured a little bit, but he's not going to let on. And there's no other way to do it. He's got to, you know, he's got to prove might is right. And he chops him straight in the forehead with one of these <laughs> choppers. And it's like, you know, Art Skull had a, the name Art Skull for a reason. And it's not that he had like a metal plate in his head. It's just that like the the blade like lodges in his skull and then like sticks there and doesn't get through. And he's like, cool. I like, now I have your sword in my head and I'm going to just keep doing my thing. (laughs) I was was like, whoa, rough stuff. (laughs) Uh, So that, that was, uh, I, I like that depiction of auric resilience, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely good. And like, you could tell he'd done that before because (laughs) (laughs) he knew to like shake his head to disarm his opponent. Yeah, exactly. This is my trick. Get chopped right in the head and then and then jokes on you. Uh, it's my strong spot. Yep. Uh, any other thoughts on Jabber Slides Grin? Hearing none, we'll go on to Heart of the Beast by Gary Kloster. Heart of the Beast is from the perspective of Hrothgorn and his man trappers. And by his man trappers, I mean some Noblars and uh, Thrafnir. The uh, what is it? Is it Frost Saber? Is that right? Yep, Frost Saber. Yeah, they're hunting something. They're hunting a beast, and this is described, you know, with this black and red pelt, and maybe it's like got six legs, and it's kind of like some snake cat thing. I, I don't yeah. like it. I assumed it was a um a basilisk, which was an old Forge World model. That could be. I don't have any. Did you, did you ever read the Elf Quest comics? No. Uh, I, I read some of them, listeners, but like, so we call this a two percenter, right? Like two percent of the audience is going to pick <laughs> up on this. So there was there was a monster in that called Mad Coil, and that's that's what I pictured. But um, it's uh, he's on this hunt, and he was part of, and I can't remember the names of the the ogre things, um, an Alfreston or something like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he is he's pretty low on the totem pole there, but he's like, if I can catch this, you know, impressive beast, then I'll be second only to the big boss. Uh, and you know, I'll have the, a claim that comes from this. And so he's in there with these Noblars, uh, and it is him. And he's actually like relatively aware that, uh, beast grave is, is trying to manipulate him, trying to influence him. And so this, he has almost like, obviously he's not, having a back and forth conversation, but he speaks directly to the mountain at times. And that's, that's was a fun take to have on this. Yeah. Um, as he, as he, uh, works on hunting down this monster. 
Uh, and, and along the way, they also run into Garrick Reavers, not not named, but you can you can figure out what's going on. There's a there's a guy with a beard. They're corn followers, and uh, they they die. They definitely Garrick's Reavers inspire in this one. Yeah, um, so. <laughs> <laughs> they get got uh, good. Yeah, uh, they meet their inspiration condition, um, and uh, it follows that. And he ultimately, does not manage to catch this beast. Realizes it's going to be the long haul, but he's he's not going to let the mountain get the best of him. Um, there were some things I enjoyed, but let me hear your guys' take about this. Uh, My favorite thing about this story was probably the interpersonal relationship of the warband and how yeah. Hrothgorn relates to the Noblars <laughs> and just just how they operate because I guess I I wasn't actually completely sure how that would all work sure. um and getting a little more personalization for Threfnir although I always kind of figured that Threfnir was going to be like a super loyal sort of creature yeah. um and finding out that Threfnir is a female uh yeah. which I thought it's like hey all right I Here's what I didn't ex- know about frost sabers is that they're they like create their own yeah they're just always cold. around them yep. yeah yeah uh, this is this is rough on Thrafnir because Thrafnir is constantly like freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing so always wet she's just soggy and like unhappy bummer yeah and that's gonna oh, have to probably doesn't smell great either probably, well <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure an ogre doesn't smell great uh and I'm like man you're just gonna have to deal with that for eternity because you can't die now and you're stuck in this mountain. <laughs> Um, but, but at the same time, while I enjoyed learning more about the warband and how they operate, I felt that the actual story, at least for me, wasn't super compelling. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I just didn't think that the hunt gave me enough reason to like care about what he was doing in the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of wished that there was a little more going on there and it, it led to a lot of action sequence scenes and it's just kind of like i can appreciate it but at the same time i'm like eh, i don't need to read about how he fires his crossbow like 20 times um but, but what if he fires his crossbow with a trap in it well i mean he does that a few times too um, yeah it, it is cool to think about like quiv standing on his back like loading the the crossbow automatically but um like the novelty wore off after the first time. I I gotta say I enjoyed the I enjoyed Quiv being really good at his job. Me too. You know, yeah, he'd be like uh, bolt and Quiv would like yeah. spring into action. Load all of a sudden, be like really good at this one job. Trap, trap, trap. And then one time when he when he needed light, he's like torch. Quiv's like sweet and like loads of torch into I, the cross. He's like, no, you idiot. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what was, torch? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Quib Quib was maybe my favorite part favorite part of this story. Quib was definitely my favorite part too. Yeah. Oh no, I love the uh, I love the two other Noblars who literally never like, let go of each other. Yeah, exactly. Like he got hauled up and it, and eaten by the monster, and he's still holding onto those legs. He's like, I'm not gonna let go. Um, and uh, for uh, just for clarity, uh, so the Forge World Basilisk, as far as I can tell, the original Forge World models actually have red and black stripes on Uh-oh. the back of the model All itself. Right. There it is. And it right. has six legs mm-hmm. and it has a fairly triangular head. So okay. um, I think that's what he was definitely doing. 
Um, That's the kind of investigative journalism that you tune into this podcast for. Exactly. Can't get it anywhere else. Nope. (laughs) Um, No, I I, I really enjoyed this story, uh, mostly because of the Noblars. But I also enjoyed how the ogre hunter was actually super tactical in his choices Mm. and intentional. Um, Oh, yeah. That it was fun where he has uh he has uh bushwhack he's like, Hey, go set up a trap. Mm-hmm. The actual trap is like that bushwhack and the other novel. <laughs> <are the bait. laughs> yeah. Yep. So, that was good. Yeah. Tells, um, tells him to put it on the ceiling and he's like, What how? Like how <laughs> yeah. how am I what do you he's want like, me to do? Just <laughs> do it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the story was almost irrelevant. That that yeah. wasn't the yeah. point of this. Yeah. The point yeah. was to see them like interact with each other. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing was, um, I like that he was a hunter and he was defined by his hunt mm-hmm. and how he said, when I finish this hunt, I'm going after the heart of the mountain, which I felt yeah. was the most direct actual relation to dire chasm in any of the yeah. stories. Sure. Right. Um, so, yeah, I love that Quiv yeah. also just like randomly picked up something that that glowed oh, yeah. which is his torch yeah. <laughs> like it became super useful but it was just like Got literally sweet, like, sweet treasure. like yeah exactly like they felt like the noblars felt like a terrible level one adventuring party that were following like a level 15 <laughs> like you know like night uh it, yeah. it was pretty fun so did i did i dream that he at one point shot a trap and then sw- swung from it like from yeah you know you did nope. not he, he was batman but it almost yeah. didn't make it. God, this yeah. story was so cool. Um, yeah. And I just loved also, not that I'm a wuss or anything, but this story was also relatively violent. And sometimes on behalf of the Noblars, like when they got their, a chance to really get their licks in, like they did. Yeah. Uh, they were like, like yeah. 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 Murderous little children again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It. There was there was kind of a dark moment where they like because one of the trap uses he yanks one of the reavers all the way across this chasm, and yeah. then uh, by the time he managed to turn around, they've like chewed this dude's face off, but he's like yeah. clearly still alive because his tongue is still moving. It was like whoa, whoa, like where <laughs> that is like a yeah discordant note in this like laugh along you know story here. Yeah, I, I think it was like a hey, just remember. You're in Beast Grave, and it sucks yeah. in Beast Grave. Yeah. Well, you know, and also remember, are no joke. Exactly, yeah. like Noblars are vicious <laughs> little things. If they, if oh, you they are at their mercy, off. you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was that was the heart of the beast. Anybody got any last thoughts there? All right, uh, Halls of Gold by Thomas Parrott. Uh, mm-hmm. This stars the profiteers. Um, and specifically, this is the first story uh, that actually starts in Shadespire. Uh, so the Profiteers, they're a warband that arrived in Nightfault. Uh, their motivation is they have arrived. Uh, they went to Shadespire in order to make their uh, make their fortune. And what they found is here we are in Shadespire and we can't get out. And we've been stuck here. Uh, Thundrick, the boss specifically says like he can specifically remember dying eight different times. Um, and it talks about some of this, like we're doing this, like we're, we're acting as though like the risk of dying exists, but it's because we don't know how else to act. Like we're just going to keep enduring in the way that Duarden do. Yeah. Um, and they come upon a, uh, basically like a, a 
a computer game sprite floating in the air. Like every, every direction they look at is the same. <laughs> like they, they kind of circle around it uh, and they can see, we know what's going on because we can see through this and there's this yellow, eerie yellow light and they have to decide like, are we going to risk going through? Like this could be our chance to escape. And they're like, well, it could just straight up kill us. And I'm like, well, we can't actually die. Uh, well, maybe we can if it's this thing. So there's back and forth. And like, I, you know, if there's a chance to escape, we, we gotta, we gotta take it. Uh, and so they step on through and end up in beast grave. And they use their Duarden sense of tunnels to actually, this is the first war band. I think that sees daylight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually, they actually get to an opening midway up the mountain and they're like, Oh, there's the outside, but you know what? We're not cursed anymore. We're not in shade spire. Uh, and we are stone cold broke. We got to get something like there's, there's no fate worse than being broke. Uh, apparently yep. if you're a character and overlord, yep. it's like, you know what? We have great direction sense. We know tunnels. Uh, let's turn around and head back. And this is like a horror movie moment, right? Yep. Like, because we know like this is the wrong choice. We're like, no, like don't <laughs> get do the book. Just, yeah. Like just walk out of the mountain and find some treasure on your way to Excelsis or something. Uh, <laughs> and instead they go back in and they run into Zarbag's gits. Uh, and they're there. This is like a moment of dismay for them. Cause like, ah, oh, we remember these dudes. We fought these guys before. Like, and they were back in Shadespire, so that's not great, you know, but maybe, maybe it's fine. Like, and they engage in a fight, uh, and it's super brutal. Like, this is a very grisly, violent scene. Like, this, the way it's written is, is, uh, pretty graphic. Yep. Um, and, uh, they, you know, Thundrick is like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I can't, we could have gotten out, and instead I got my whole crew killed. Uh, you know, both, it's, it's a total wipeout except for Thundrick. And while he's kneeling there considering the, uh, you know, the, the cost of what he's done all of a sudden from behind him, his crew is like, Hey, you know, captain, are you okay? It's like, Oh snap. <laughs> the, the curse followed us. And that's kind of the note we end on. So, um, interesting, different take. Uh, what about your take, Phil? Yeah, I liked this story, but it, man, I was just like, you could have gotten out. Um, <laughs> And, and I was just like, oh, no. Uh, but I mean, I figured I figured nobody was getting out because we know they're still in there and still fighting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did like how. So so the mountain has been luring everybody there and like gives them the reason to come deeper into the mountain. Mm-hmm. And usually that's through like putting visions into their head or some sort of nebulous sense that like I should probably go into this spooky mountain that everybody says is going to like kill everything. Yeah. Um, but for these guys, like they're specifically looking for treasure. They're specifically looking for like aether gold and all their instruments say that there is aether gold in the mountain and they even comment about like well that doesn't really make any sense how is there aether gold in the mountain They're like well it's probably somebody's stash like we can explain this away and it makes me wonder like how much power does the mountain really have to affect reality near the mountain because they have instruments that are supposed to be able to detect aether gold and they said that there was aether gold but mm-hmm. we know there probably really wasn't so well, they found some though, right? Like that's what well, they, 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 they found, found a stash that d- then disappeared. So, so admittedly yeah. you're, you're suspicious of what is or isn't true, but then like didn't one in get and got 
still yeah. remain. It was like, like that this was there. huge pile of treasure. And then after the fight, there's just this one ingot left. And he's like, well, wait, what? And so I don't know. I don't believe it. But it's it's sort of this questionable thing of like, can we really believe what's going on? Because everything that's happening in this mountain seemingly is somewhat nebulous. It's like, is it real? Mm -hmm. Is it not? Is it shifting? Is it constant? I think Uh, um, that across a lot of these stories, there have been some examples of like, maybe the characterizations have been really great, but maybe the stories have been lacking, but like the characterizations kind of save it. Um, This is maybe one for me that the story was, I found particularly good, but there wasn't as much characterization of the characters. They all sort of were the classic KO like archetype, which, which Mm -hmm. is fine because I I enjoyed the plot uh, quite a bit. So you kind of get different stories of different strengths and different weaknesses. And so I I really enjoyed where this started, where it went and where it ended. Um, I thought it was great. And I I felt crestfallen as, as uh, Thundrick did, as he realized, you know, what he had done and what, how his decisions had affected his crew. And then additionally, I thought this is one of the better, maybe even one of the best um, fights at the end when they're fighting the gits. It's neat because the gits are such a varied war band, right? And to some degree, the profiteers are too. They, I mean, they're equipped in different ways. And so it was neat to see them go head to head and see the, if not creative, like the unique ways that each side deals death, right? Essentially like how, you know, one, uh, once like to see the atomizer in action or to see um, the fanatic spinning around and, and just sort of how each individual is dangerous in their own ways. And so that was a, a cool fight to see everybody sort of play to their strengths. So I really liked that part too. Yeah. I'm trying to think what it specifically was about this fight that was like, so uh, made it so brutal. I think, you know, sometimes in the black library fiction, uh, you know, the violence that they write is, is kind of like over the top or it's, uh, it's like, or, or it's so over the top that it's abstracted, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, he swung his ax and it went through three necks and each of them sprayed, you know, sprayed crimson arcs through the air. Uh, and this felt like almost, it's hard to say because it's like fantastical things, but almost like a more believable violent, like the, the injury, I don't know, like I, I could picture these things like actually happening. And I, I, so I, it felt harder hitting. Like it was, mm. it was, I, I remember, you know, if not, not shocked is the word, but being like uh, a little shaken, like reading some of this. And, um, well, I it, mean, I guess, yeah. Hats off to CL Werner. Oh no, not CL Werner. Uh, Thomas Parrott, mm-hmm. uh, on that for, uh, you know, cause we do play this for escapism, but maybe sometimes it's, good to remember that violence violence is uncool um yeah so yeah i I think for me it was how he described the individual injuries on each of the fighters in the ko warband sure and how they just get kept getting more and more mauled right and then he made sure to kind of tie it back to thundrick watching this happen right because it wasn't even necessarily about the wounds themselves it was just about how despondent and how he realized how terrible this was. And so when you get to the point where he's like, this was a terrible decision and this was all my fault. You felt like it was your fault a little bit too, like for, for reading through what happened to him. I, I I can, I can safely say it was less that for me. I, I think actually, I think it was the suddenness of it. Like, you know, like the fight started and people just started dropping like that. Like, yeah, 
uh, you know, Driz get gets the back of his head blown out by a by a shot from uh, one eye mm-hmm. or yeah, dead eye, dead eye Lund. Um and like everyone's just like dropping like that, and it's uh, yeah, I guess it's that that suddenness and extremity of the the violence was like uh startling when you're used to like you know your heroes are like they were cut in a dozen bleeding from a dozen cuts and could feel something you know yeah. a broken rib or you know like you're used to that sort of thing where like yeah you know they took a lot of hits but they kept going and that's because that's always how it goes. these people were just going down well you know, you know when way, neither got when neither player takes an objective grabbing deck you know it's kind of what happens right <laughs> yeah sure. uh, like when drek skewer goes down he gets shot out of the sky by a magical bolt and as soon as he hits he takes out one squig but the other gets him in his jaws and starts shaking him and like that's how he yeah. ends like that's, a, that's yeah. a brutal way to go yeah 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 i wonder if there's also something to it where i don't know the karadran use guns mm. and like it's just mm. it's closer to our reality than like sure. bows and arrows sure um, yeah, and I mean the the depictions from Dead Eye Lunge shooting guys that that was a part that I felt like it wasn't necessary um, to like mm. talk about how after shooting somebody they like their body kind of still flopped around for a bit after their skull was vacated through their eye <laughs> and like right I don't know it just yeah this is this is I think is probably one of the ones that I had commented on earlier where it was like things get dark and like kind of comes out of nowhere and it's almost unnecessarily dark sometimes. So sure. Um, but I mean, it kind of comes with the territory like Warhammer yeah. is, is brutal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anybody got any more thoughts about well, this? I'll one? just ask David, David, did you, you played the profiteers quite a bit, right? Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you had a, a certain level of affection towards them and to see them like mowed down, maybe played some part of it as well? Like, like that, like, you know, like, I don't know, you have an intimate knowledge with, you know, some of these folks. I don't know. That might be part of it too. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I, I think some of it is also like at the time they don't know that they're coming back. Um, I think okay. it's also, you know, that maybe feeds more into Paul's point of the, um, I think it was just like the suddenness and the graphicness, graph, graph, suddenness and how graphic it was like uh was uh hewed more um, to a, a more realistic take that we don't always get here and uh you know i found that to uh be if he was shooting is he was, he was shooting to kind of shake us up well, I, I think he was successful so cool you have been shook i mean not cool yeah all right any more thoughts or on to the Root of Death by C.L. Werner, um, as previously mentioned, the uh, author of the Beastgrave novel. Um, this is following the worm spat. Uh, we get a little nod to why they are the worm spat, because when they went to seek out Beastgrave, they got swallowed up by a worm and spat out. And they're like, you know what we are now? The worm spat. So uh, they are on a mission. They're going to try and seek out the source of the cataphrane curse. They call it the Unplague, I believe. Yep. Um, and specifically the problem is this unplugged, this thing that is artificially, um, stopping the cycle of death and, uh, regrowth instead it's death and rebirth and death. Um, it's infecting Gur with this stagnation of, uh, of Nagash basically. And, uh, 
that that is a, like an antagonism we've seen in the past in uh, Age of Sigmar and Warhammer lore. Is uh, Nurgle's all about those cycles, you know? All got to get it in those cycles, and uh, Nagash wants uh, total stagnation, like wants everything to be like a, a frozen point where everyone's dead and everyone's following him. Um, and so, this is another motivation for coming to. Uh, beast grave that makes sense but is also unique to that particular warband and so they're trying to seek out the source of this unplague uh, which they believe they find uh, they find and this is a this is a thing that we've seen there was a very very short not even a short story like a, a couple two to three paragraph thing of in the um, beast grave rule book of uh uh who might think of Cursebreaker, Stormsire's Cursebreakers uh, making their way into Beastgrave and how they, they came through and that the idea of Shadespire kind of spilling into Beastgrave a little bit. So there's elements of uh, Shadespire that now kind of overlap or exist within Beastgrave. And this is one of those where these these shade glass mirrors exist and um, this uh, this large root of a, of a plant is brushing up against those and crystallizing. And they're, they're theorizing that this is uh, transmitting the... Um, uh, the curse throughout the, the mountain. And so they're going to try and uh, take this down. Um, they are fighting. I think the wild hunt shows up here. Is that correct? They do. Yeah. So at times they're directly uh, fighting against them, but I think at one point they're both actually working against this, uh, this route at, at uh, mm-hmm. one point, they're kind of back and forth, um, uh, on this. And this is another where the, the wild hunt kind of figure out like, uh, that they, they got to take down Fecula. So they, they kind of try to focus her down. Um, uh, and uh, that's uh, that's kind of the core conflict. Anybody got anything they want to share about this one? I really liked the Wretchling. I thought that was a cool little thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Tekiva talked about how she swallowed the Wretchling and the Wretchling loved it and then like wander around in your stomach and then she would throw her up again. That was fun. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, the next time I do it, I got to file down his horns. Yep. Was like, that's, yeah, it was painful. That's pretty rough. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. There go, you gross. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and, and like, so I was kind of torn here because I, the characterization, I felt like matched exactly what I expected for all the different characters. And I felt mm-hmm. like they were done really well. But at the same time, I really don't like Nurgle. And like the characterization of Nurgle is something I don't enjoy. So reading about it wasn't yeah. actually all that enjoyable for me, um, mm. particularly with the Wretchling, because like, <laughs> well, I liked the idea of this little Wretchling thing as like this little weird dog and like swimming around in her stomach. And it's like, oh, that's funny. But it's like <laughs> she's brewing some sort of plague inside her stomach. And the way she gets it back out is having the Wretchling go get it. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, that's really gross. Um, I, I got to say, it makes sense that it's called a retchling now. Like, I, yeah. never, <laughs> I don't know if that was like always canon, but now I'm like, oh, yeah, the name, yeah. The name yeah. means something. Words mean things, Aaron. Yeah. So I keep saying. <laughs> and um, like- so I like that there. I, I don't know if I'm always just assuming this is the case, but ever since I've read any of the um, order of the fly, I feel like more and more mm-hmm. I'm seeing Nurgle sort of represented as a sort of, uh, I don't know, medieval, like medieval sensibilities of like knights and like um, 
that type of like language and, and so on and so forth. And so I don't know if this is following in that tradition or Nurgle is always this way. But anyways, the point being is I'm, I'm always delighted when you, you hear him sort of express that way. Uh, yeah. And despite not being written by Josh Reynolds, who I, I believe is the progenitor of the Order of the Fly, I, I hope it continues in that direction. And we sort of see that characterization uh, going forward. Sure. Yeah, I mean, they, they have intentions matter, right? Like they, they, from their perspective, they have noble intentions uh, on this. And so uh, that's, that makes them a little more fun to, to read. Yeah, I, I, there was uh, one moment I liked is like uh, Fecula kind of, she, it's almost like this, well, it is, it is a self-sacrifice thing. Like they, it, she goes all out. She's like, we're, we're going to ignore the, uh, the wild hunt. Um, she cuts her own belly open to like release these plagues and then like grabs onto this root and tries to hold onto it and infect this and like counteract, uh, counteract this, uh, shade glass curse that's going into this root. Um, and it's this kind of selfless sacrifice thing, which is not something that you would typically, you know, uh, associate with a, with a chaos faction, but she does do it. And, uh, it seems to work, but then she falls, you know, falls away and then uh, discovers that uh, she and her warband are in fact also uh, afflicted with this curse because uh, although she gets up, she's like, well, maybe I didn't actually like get hit hard enough or maybe I didn't fall hard enough to die. She sees Golgotch who definitely got skewered like through and through by that yeah. uh, big old meanie scathe. Um, and she's like, okay, well, I guess we're just going to deal with it. And, you know, with the, with the idea that, uh, you know, the, the followers of Nurgle endure, that's one thing they definitely do. Um, that's, they, they go on to, to keep working on it. So. I like how uh, a lot of these stories have like, end on like final dramatic, like quotes from the, the main characters, <laughs> like the, the ogre one did too, but she, she ends with, we will prevail and woe betide whatever thinks to interfere with the worm spat credits roll yeah dun, 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 dun. yeah very dramatic uh yeah so any other thoughts on the root of death or should we proceed to the last story in all of this anthology i'd rather not yeah unfortunately. <laughs> so we have gaslight and this is by anna stevens uh this is back to the dread pageants this is the second time that we've gotten the dread pageant as a point of view and they are specifically working on getting back to Shadespire. Uh, and when I say back to, they've not been. This is a war band that started uh, in in uh, the Gur version. Uh, but they are theorizing, hey, I think we can get from here into Shadespire. And that's critical because uh, Shadespire is in this uh, nether realm in between two other realms, Ulgish, uh, which also happens to be where uh, Slanish is imprisoned. And they think there is a... Uh, basically a MacGuffin for lack of a better characterization that will help them. That's a powerful Slanishy thing that will help them, uh, gain fame, glory, and maybe release Slanish himself. Um, that's about the summary of that they, they, you know, they, they're in conflict with some, some people along the way. I think the interesting things for me was that like, it, it's a two way street, apparently, um, that you can go back and forth from, from uh, uh, Shadespire to Beastgrave. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we've seen much of that, um, but that makes sense. That's kind of cool. Shadespire is still there. It's not like it's 
a ghost town now. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, you've been great, everybody. See ya. See you <laughs> Try the veal. Uh, but uh, and they, I think they encounter the cataphrains. They encounter some like magic using skeletons. I, I just felt like at a number, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you will. Uh, I think Anna Stevens she didn't write poorly, but it seemed like she missed some of the background here where like uh Vasilak is casting spells and like the cataphranes are getting directly involved if that's what we were seeing uh i don't yeah there there was there was a bunch of stuff that was like i don't i don't know if this is how this is supposed to work and i don't know if it's because i'm making wrong assumptions or if, if uh the author here just kind of uh didn't pick up on some of the the background or not but uh other thoughts from folks yeah, I I don't know. I wasn't sure what to make of this one. I I think it did a, an okay job of being like, these are followers of Slanesh, and this is kind of how they operate. Yeah. Um, I don't... <laughs> and I guess maybe it's okay to not like how chaos people function. Um, sure. But like de- all the depictions of them like torturing people is just not cool (laughs) and i was just like nah i don't need like let's let's just skim ahead um it's a fair point it felt like more of an exploration of like what it meant to be a hedonite of slanesh more than it yeah what it meant to be like in beast grave maybe and i i I do feel like a lot more so than the first encounter we had with the dread pageant um where everything with the the first encounter with the dread pageant really seemed to be that sort of excess of pain. Um, whereas this one, they seem to explore a lot more different at, sort of facets of excess, mm. um, which I sure. think was good uh, because I think Slanesh is complicated in that way and is often written like with one sort of vein as the primary thrust of the story. And then it's like, you can kind of lose the track. And I feel like that's happened in the history of Slanesh a lot. And mm. in some ways has made Slanesh problematic, but like it really is all encompassing. And so all these different aspects and all, I mean, it's like sure. the seven deadly sins kind of thing in one chaos. God, even though each one is kind of an, an embodiment of a few of those different concepts. Right. Um, my, Sorry, sort of unrelated, I guess. But my like my problem with the story is that very little happened, and we spend way too much time in like the internal monologue of what's her name, Glazette. Glazette. Yeah, Glazette, and like her internal monologue is all over the place. Like she never really had any sort of central focus. First, she was like, "All right, well, I got. I'm concerned about um slash slash, but I'm also concerned about I I want to stay in the mountain." But in the next breath, or mental breath she's like oh but I, we also got to get to shade spire and she it was it, it was very scattered and maybe that's what the brain the, in, the, in, the inner thoughts of a hedonite slanesh maybe they're all scattered but it, it seemed like we spent so much time jumping between idea and idea and idea that never really went anywhere that the plot mm-hmm. never ended up going anywhere either and sometimes that's mm-hmm. okay like some of the stories i was i was fine with the plot not really going anywhere the ogre story but like nothing happened and then all of a sudden oh, there's oh, but now there's orcs and like i see one of them and then we, we kill him 
And there's also a Skaven that was getting dragged around for reasons I don't quite understand. Like, how did that contribute to the story? Yeah, magic yeah. ritual to get also, back to Shadespire, I it guess. It did, but it didn't. Yeah, they didn't explain that. No, they talk about the gaslight. Like, it seems yeah. like all this very important thing that, like, no one really either no one explains which okay because sometimes things are unexplainable but no one really seems to focus on they'd all just sort of take it for granted no one seems to be curious as to what the deal with the gaslight is i'd never mm. heard of it it seems like a, again sort of a attacked on conceit so it i don't i don't know what the story thought it was trying to do or what she was trying to like get what you know if there was a central idea she was trying to impart um but yeah. i i feel like i i got lost there yeah, it almost felt like the end was the goal, um, which I think is often tough because it's like if if you know you have to end up in a place that sometimes you can kind of ideally the best part of the story is the middle bits, right? Like you don't really mm-hmm. have to care about the, where it starts and where it ends as long as everything in the middle is good and gives you a like fulfillment of like I liked how this was told. Uh, it felt like this story, the whole point was to get them to a place where they wanted to go out of dire chasm. Yeah. yeah. And which the... they do and are surrounded by skeletons. Yeah. So. yeah hundreds yeah. of undead, which also <laughs> makes me wonder like, okay, so if this story is going to somehow be continued in whatever the next aspect of Underworlds is, like, are, we're not going back to Shadespire, are we? Like that, no. that feels impossible. Like, <laughs> let's call it Shadespire. Uh, two, two, two just no complaints. Then. then I want to, I want to get in real right. quick. In that, like, what were the deal with the Beatles? Like, what? How did that contribute to the story? Like, at all? Yeah. Uh, that seemed completely out of place. And uh, the idea that she was so suspicious of uh, the Slangor seemed so very much like it was a tell not show situation where she kept talking about how she didn't trust him, but I never saw any reason for her. To, to tout him in the first place. And so like that also threw me for a loop. All right, I'm done tagging. All right. So, uh, conspiracy theory. What if we're going to go to Olfenkarn next season? And that's why they sound like a Paul theory. Uh, number two. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really interesting. I could see that for sure. Um, but number two, this is the first story where we are rehashing, uh, reintroducing, a war band that's already been used, right? Because mm-hmm. in the first story, we already had the Dread Pageant. And I understand they weren't quite as like specifically drawn out and delineated as far as the different members of the war band. But to have this as a story defining them at the end, um, I could see how in a certain sense it would be kind of like starting at the point where you end. But at the same time, it's also like, well, we've already talked about them. There's so many other war bands that you might have, like, you know, delved into a little bit more that it might be hard to parse the two separately instead of comparing the two directly. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So, like, again, if we were to. So, this kind of gets into my point of I think the way that the stories were set may have affected the way that we read the stories, right? Um, I think the mountains call was a really good first story. Um, but I think it could have been put, put, put anywhere in the anthology and it still would have been a really good story. Does that make sense? Yep. 
And you could have started with the profiteers. You could have started with, um, you could have started with the Jabber Slives grin, right? Like you could have started with any of these other stories where they start outside of Beast Grave and enter in. And I think those would have been some nice entrances. So for example, if the Jabber Slives grin would have been the first story, that would have been a really fun kind of like entrance into Beast Grave. But when it was the fifth or sixth story, right? It's kind of a rehash of things that you've already done. And I think that did not help the the strength of that story very much, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, so we're kind of looking at like bigger, bigger things of the book as a whole, which is a fine, fine thing to be switching on to. And you're talking about the sequencing thing. Like I, I haven't really thought about it until we talked about it here, but like when you have an anthology of short stories, like it's got to be like sequencing an album. Like, mm-hmm. all right, like I've got something up tempo. Okay, now I've got a real downer. Uh, like how many, how many up tempo in a row can I go? Yes. Uh, how do I, how do I like change the pace without really grinding the gears? Like, I, I think that's got to be pretty, pretty, fairly challenging for, uh, for someone to do. There's got to be, there's got to be a particular skill to that. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that, and whereas like writing an album, you may have, you know, I don't know, like you might be doing a say in this case, like an 11, an album with 11 tracks, you might have, you know, 18 tracks recorded, which ones are we actually going to use? I, I can't, I mean, I imagine they've got more, there, there were probably some submissions that they didn't quite use, but I don't know if they had the flexibility to say like this one, not this one and all yeah. this sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah. I think like if, if you're to take Claws of Famine, then Chains of Fate, right? Then The Rage of the Mountain and Heart of the Beast, those could have been put anywhere. And I think they all would have been very successful for what they were. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that you put uh, those lighthearted ones at the very first one. I think those are good, like, breather, breather stories. I don't think you, when you, I don't think when you say put them anywhere, I don't think you put them at the beginning. I don't think you put them at the finish. I think they're good interspersed yeah. in there to, like, kind of yeah, relieve be fair. some yeah. tension. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think had we started with a different story, then it would have, I think, allowed us to enjoy, like, I would have enjoyed the Mountain's Call a little bit later, I think as well as in the beginning, it was a great intro, but because it deals with two war bands and it's such a, a well characterized story, it, it could have stood its own at any point. And I think that might've actually like, you know, had we gotten, for example, the gaslight as the first mm-hmm. story, perhaps that would have been a really interesting introduction um, because it would have, attempted to get the characters back to where they started as opposed to the ending where I feel like all the war bands have now realized where they are and what's going on. And you're like, Oh yes. Another war band that's trying to get back to shades fire, right? Like the eyes of the nine story or etc. So I don't know. That's just kind of a thought for me. Well, Paul's kind of advanced us on to some overall things. We, how about we're going to field a few questions here and then some of our general questions and wrap it up because we've been going for a long time. Um, yeah, not that long. Well, <laughs> long enough. Uh, we had a couple listener questions. Uh, dear friend of the show, Severe, uh, wanted and to know. And also patron of the, of the network. patron. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for that. Uh, it says, uh, we've gotten a few lost civilizations in the background of Underworlds, specifically the Cataphranes and the Silent People stand out. Do you think these could be expanded upon in wider Age of Sigmar lore? 
or are they something unique to the underworlds? Uh, Aaron, I'm going to throw this to you as the usual helmsman of the story phase. Um, I think, could they be expanded upon? Yeah, definitely. Anything could. Will they be expanded upon? I, I, I get a sense of a trend with GW that they compartmentalize um, on average. So for the most part, they'll, they'll I would imagine they might keep these separate because there's they have so many ideas uh, filling their little their little GW brains that like they'd be more inclined to go in new directions than they would to like call back to these. I mean, the, there'll always be like lines in like battle tomes or, you know, there'll always be references, but I doubt we'll ever see them expanded upon in the AOS proper, which brings me no pleasure to say because I wish they would, but I I wouldn't put money on it. Yeah. I mean, so there's this thing where they have always done in their fiction where they leave these hooks, right? Mm -hmm. Like here's, here's a hook for you to latch onto. And if you want to create a whole army based on this little open-ended story hook, then you're all open for that. Or you're all, you know, you can do that. But I think sometimes they even leave them open for themselves. Uh, and it's possible that they're doing something like that here. Like, mm-hmm. here's a cool thing. And if we decide that we really think it's cool, we'll, we'll lean into it later. Uh, so I think when they create these hooks, they, they can create them for us as interesting story points, but they can create them for themselves to give themselves some options going forward. We didn't talk a lot about the silent people because honestly, they didn't pop up all that much in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some references and maybe uh maybe aaron and paul you know having not played as much of the game didn't pick up on them as much they, they you know there'd be like these these statues these uh you know some of the stories would be these these form partially formed things they looked kind of you know insectoid and like there were speculation like maybe these aren't actually statues like the 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 silent people were they their pupation uh got interrupted uh by the introduction of the of the cataphrane curse uh, they have this long life cycle and it's been disrupted by the arrival of this and what the impact of that is yet to be determined. But that's about it. Like we've seen some of the relics and just, just in reference, I, I would say we know more about the silent people from the cards in the game itself than we do from any of these short stories. Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing is that in the AOS 3.0 core book, they've actually brought back some earlier callbacks. Um, so the floating market of Atar which is an army that Steve Foot made based on one sentence. Um, now it's actually being referenced as a major player in Akshi. And in addition to that, they're talking about the remnants of the Aglaraxi Empire, which is something that was in one of the campaign supplements in AOS 1.0. Um, but they're not talking about the Aglaraxi themselves. They're talking about kind of an outgrowth, uh, an evil um, splinter group from the Aglaraxi. Um, so bring it home for us. You're way out there. <laughs> Tie it back in. You can do this. Yeah. So there is the possibility that they might go back and draw in some cataphrane influences or some silent people influences. Mm. Um, but it, it seems a little, a little bit of a forlorn hope. Um, unless we're to see something that really makes those be thrust into the spotlight. And with Beastgrave being not on Thondia, we're going to really have to see the, the plot go widely a- abroad in order for them to start being included into the main narrative of AOS. And with the Cataphranes being completely wiped out and then Shayish, and we've already went to Shayish, and nothing produced from that, that seems like an even farther 
um, call out that that's going to be something that will end up influencing the future. Um, so they definitely could be expanded upon, but I don't think that they're going to be anything that um, is, and I think they will continue to be unique to Underworlds. I, I mean, th- this this feels like they they like to have the distant past kind of peoples to just yep. be there and sort of be static. Um, I mean, they even just introduced two new ones with the Draconith and the uh, Drogruk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they like to have that sort of grounding history that's sort of in the dead past where it's like, we don't have to actually worry about it, but it's, Hey, it's this thing and it's there and it's grounding the universe. Um, where it, where I would actually like to see them pick up more of their story hooks from underworlds is where they have like groups in underworlds that don't really fit into any of the existing factions in AOS, Mm -hmm. particularly Mm -hmm. Kurnothi, but also some of the greenskins. And it's like, well, how do how do you sort of explain where these guys came from and where they fit in because they're not anywhere else but obviously they must be part of one of these larger groups so yeah yeah i mean and that's that is a fair point especially in this crossover episode because people people will often look at these warhammer underworlds warbands and see that okay maybe this is a faction that's coming and often that's actually the case you know like we see uh Malag and then uh, more, you know, new Tragos show up and, uh, we see, uh, I don't know, like the Slanesh or the soul blight. Like we see these different warbands show up and they're followed by something, but then sometimes we don't, we see wolf riders or we see, uh, the God's Sworn hunt, uh, you know, or the Kurnathi and they, they don't develop in anything. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're ranging kind of, kind of far from the original question, but, uh, it's not impossible. I think, I think we're saying that it probably won't happen, but <laughs> in my mind, I think they're, they're leaving it open. They're giving themselves an out if they want to, but, okay. uh, we have one more listener question. This is from the one and only confusion card asking the only question he could ask, which is how is the confusion card integrated into the plot of the book? And I have to assume because his avatar is the confusion card from beast grave, uh, that he's speaking about that one specifically, that is a card that has uh, one of Skate's Wild Hunt looking through some amber at a very shocked Ungor. Uh, and uh, I mean, that's kind of that that nightmare vibe of like, you know, there's yeah. there's bad guys are just on the other side of the glass. They're right there. How do I get to them? Can they get to me? And the quote on that one is uh, the cursed caverns within Beast Grave can disorient even the most keen minded explorer. And that is definitely a theme that I would say runs through this book. Like, absolutely. Uh, everybody's always disoriented, like, or, you know, even if they think they know where they're going, they, they probably don't. Things close up behind them or, or don't, and they just get lost. And uh, there's a very claustrophobic sense. Uh, and, you know, that card, I know this is a joke question, but that, that, that's the kind of sense the card gives you. And that's the sense we get from this, uh, this book. But mm-hmm. um, to the greater sense of themes, what, you know, anyone want to comment on like the any unifying themes or or uh, subjects that we saw throughout this book after uh, after you know reviewing it in full here? It was definitely mentioned sort of throughout, but hunger uh, was always something that was coming up, um, and it seems to have been being driven by the mountain itself. 
Uh, but it, so it explains the hunger mechanic in the game um, and, and sort of why you would make. Now, of course, they, it's probably backwards. It's probably actually that they wrote the story that way because they were like, hey, we've got this thing. We need to integrate it into the story. Yeah. Um, but I like that it it, it gives it a, a in-realm reason for having that be a new mechanic in Dire Chasm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel yeah. like we definitely got a Hunter Quarry um, kind of perspective from some of the warbands as well. Sure. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed that the quite a bit. Pursuit is often happening in here. So, um, Yeah, and I think just the... Uh, we see the connection between uh, Shadespire and Beastgrave, like this idea of a like sort of labyrinthine place of no escape. You know, it's it's nightmarish even before you introduce the Cataphrane curse and uh, reality kind of phrase, and it's difficult to you know maintain your sense of self when you're in there. So, uh, I definitely by the end of this, I was like, okay, I've read enough claustrophobic stories i'm ready for something else so wide open uh, space yeah exactly well and um i think one of the other things is that the 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 whole idea of the constant death and the constant rebirth um which is something that's been in shadespire and it's been in beastgrave um is something that was very much emphasized within the stories right because that's part of the setting Mm -hmm. um but it was also a really interesting way to see it affect the different war bands in different ways. And I think sure. that was something that this anthology was very successful at was mm-hmm. you would read one short story and be like, this is how they deal with the rebirth. Got it. And you read another short story and be like, Oh, this is an absolute failure for them. And you read another short story and you're like, eh, whatever. I just wait five days. It's fine. We're all fine. Now everybody's fine now. So I, I thought they did a really good job of actually embodying those different perspectives for the rebirth sure. and death. So we've hit some of our uh, listener questions. Let's hit some of our universal questions here. Um, these are these are questions we often ask. Uh, there's well, this is a quick one. We've kind of touched on this. What what did we learn about the mortal realms that we didn't know before? Um, Aaron, do you feel like there's any anything you came up with that you didn't know before? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to pinpoint, um, what it, it, it's maybe not about the mortal realms specifically, but just generally the wide ranging ways that, uh, the mountain could lure individuals to it. Like it, it's not so much, uh, a universal like fact or knowledge, but just the, the uniqueness, the unique ways that one might be lured onto a mountain is really what stood out to me. Um, mm. and, uh, and then in doing so highlighting the primal intelligence that is baked into these mountains that we always were new were, were sort of like carnivorous or, you know, in a very loose sense of the word in Gur, uh, and then extrapolating that to Gur at large. So I'm, I'm going from step by step by step to sort of expanding, uh, the, the scope, um, in that I feel like it, we hear, we've read a lot about the beasts themselves in Gur, but now we're really getting to the, the heart of what it means to, I don't know, even be a geographical landmark in Gur as well. Sure. So I yeah. feel like that was enlightening to me. Fair. Um, I'm going to run down. Give me your favorite story. We're going to go in the order that we introduce ourselves. So, Paul, your favorite story of the 11, which was it? Um, I would have to say that it was The Rage of the Mountain. 
It was just mm-hmm. so simple, so quick. It's got a bunch of grots, which I love. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I loved it. This is this is Ripa and the Snarl Fangs. Yeah, correct. All right. Uh, then that is on to uh, Aaron. I think what was your favorite story. Claws of Famine, which might be most or a few others answers as well, because it was such a uniquely told story. There was a like great I don't know, twist is the word, but uh, sort of it was a real, it was a real thinker while also being you know a fairly action packed story as well. And it was the first one that really I felt like uh, put me in the unique and like weird and confusing uh, place for both the setting of the mountain, but then also into the mind of a, of a ghoul of the flesh eater courts. Really, it, it was doing so much in such a, such a short span. Um, it really, it really did a lot of work. And uh, because yeah. of that, I loved it. What you go to short stories for Phil favorite. Also claws of famine. Um, mm. I wouldn't have thought that I'd be able to sympathize with and empathize for a, uh, a ghoul. Uh, but I, <laughs> coming out of the story, I definitely do. Um, yeah, totally. And I think that like humanizing the ghouls is actually like really impressive part of just such a short story. Um, and, and like, I don't know, it was just very engaging and like, thought-provoking story i feel like and and i mean they're always they've always been a uh, faction that i found fascinating anyway but like i i feel like this this really took it to a whole nother level yeah a faction where i don't care for the models and i love the background i know right it puts them in a real weird spot <laughs> for um for me i mean i am leaning heavily towards uh towards claws of famine but i might go chains of fate just because yep. of the unexpected like mm-hmm. i it was a uh, was such a surprise to you know i was like oh eyes of the nine i didn't think i was gonna get a story from there like oh man like kacharik is the is the point of view like wild and just the fact that it's clear that the author had kind of done some looking into the war band that, that was very enjoyable for that for me um and uh yeah i just uh it was a it was, a, it was a fun little bit of reading, and it was nice to have that one-two punch coming right after Claws of Famine is where, where this anthology really started rolling for yeah. me. So This is my second favorite. I'm right there with you. Sure. Uh, one thing we like to ask is, who's your who's your dude? And this is your who's your gender-neutral gender dude? Who is the person that you enjoyed reading or identified with or uh, what whatever the case may be? And we're going to go in the order that these notes exist. So, Aaron, who's uh, your I'm dude? I'm glad I'm going first because I... I would put money on me not being the only person to select this uh, charismatic, important, impactful character. I, I know where you're going. But it's, well, I don't know. It's Quiv is my dude. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's just, I mean, a Noblar shouldn't be good at their jobs, but this guy is. He uh, he yeah. transcends uh, yeah. uh, his, his, I don't know, his lot in life. And uh, he's, uh, he's good at what he does. And what he does is slot bolts and traps into Hrothgorn's uh, um, crossbow. Uh, and it seems like maybe a cop-out is, is, is like a silly answer, but no, it, it I, I felt like I, I learned something about him. I, I, I knew, I know no more about him and maybe now Lars as a whole coming yeah. out the backside of that story. And it was something that I, I didn't realize there was a hole in my knowledge and I'm glad that I have filled it. Sure. All right. Uh, Phil, 
What uh who's your guy? Yeah. Uh it's it's tough. I I definitely I really enjoyed Ripa. I thought they did a really good job with him and I I definitely really enjoyed reading his story and a lot of his perspective. Um but I think my favorite character uh which is a little odd because they didn't have a name, but was just the nameless hunter from the first story and like getting mm, a very yeah. normal person's perspective on a very not normal, like fantastical situation. Like this person doesn't even really know that magic is like really possible. They're like, yeah, I know like there's the stories <laughs> and stuff from our tribe, but like, that's just myths and legends and then yeah. gets thrown into this world of just basically high fantasy age of Sigmar and is like, just has to deal with this. Um, and I feel like it allows us as the reader to sort of get pulled along into the story. Uh, and the, the character we're brought through with is basically at the same level we are. Fair. Good choice. Paul. Uh, I'm going to go with Thwack and Lugget. I'm going to read uh, a paragraph because <laughs> I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Threatened rock, Thwack said, and Lugget echoed him. Do stones scare? Like, I love how stupid and little they are, but yet they provide such a wonderful foil for Hrothgorn, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they hey, question him. You're talking to the talking to the mountain again <laughs> yeah yeah exactly a like it's literally like okay you're the boss but like you're talking to some freaking rock buddy like what, what's going on here yeah wow nice should i pick bushwhacker so we just get all the yeah. knoblars i mean hey i'm, 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 I'm cool with it no uh i i had quiv in my sights and i i served that up to to i i knew he's gonna i knew aaron was gonna jump on that so um, I think, uh, I think I'm going to go with, uh, Duke Crackmarrow here. Ooh, um, also good specifically because of that interaction where like, I'm sure what they were actually doing was pretty gnarly. Like, you know, when he is handing out rations and when he's, you know, letting Valerie drink from his blood and all that sort of thing. But the thing is like, how are they understanding it? Like they didn't just leave her to die. You know, they, they went, they, found her it was hard to find her like they they tracked her down even when she was like seeing through her delusions and running away like they spent the energy to to get her and bring her back into the fold uh and it felt benevolent and i i thought that was interesting and he, he felt like a he felt like the noble leader that he thinks that he is and you know however it looks from the outside like i think i said earlier intentions matter and like he had good intentions here and like that's that was kind of cool. So I'll go with uh, the Duke. I he was swear. Great because, yeah. Well, just going to say just that uh, it. Uh, oh, God, that's the truth. That, it, that that like, sure, they did a lot of monstrous things, but the kind mm-hmm. things that he did were kind no matter what or like generous no matter what. Whether he's a, a regular Duke or a weird ghoul, he still lets her <laughs> drink out of him. Like mm-hmm. it's good no matter how you look at it. So that yeah, you're right. Yeah. He was a good character. Yeah. I, I totally thought you were going to pick Kacharik, Davey. 
And I was leaving Kacharik for you to pick. I thought about her. I, I would say Kacharik was like the one I could identify with. I, I had a whole <laughs> thing about like, uh, you know, being so sure that you knew the best and better. And then like you, when it all, when it all comes down to the wire, having your comeuppance and you're like, oh, I wasn't as, I wasn't quite as smart as I thought I was. Like I, I, I can identify with that moment, but uh, uh, I, at the last minute I, I bucked away from that. Fair. I was almost there and I appreciate you uh, serving that up. Paul. <laughs> All right. I think that about wraps it up for us. Uh, does anybody have any last thoughts about this um, before we, before we close it out? Um, I, I did enjoy beast grave. I would recommend uh, reading that for kind of a cool introduction into Gur, And also because, you know, match play right now is set in Gur. It's a very appropriate oh, right. time to read uh, the lore of Gur, and this is the most Gurian uh, book that we have at the moment. So, sure, I yeah. forgot we usually give ratings. So, hit me with a rating there, Paul. I'm gonna go with seven of eight spider legs. I I mm. rather enjoyed it. Um, it it was a fun read for me for sure. All right, all right, Aaron, hit me with a hit me with a rating. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I did most of my reviewing up at the top and i guess i didn't really need spoilers to say any more about it and then like i genuinely enjoyed it uh short stories are the best format for black library fiction and so this is this is a great read and i recommend it um i will give it uh nine out of 11 short stories um because mm. i liked Ooh. nine out of 11 of them um yeah and so that seemed fitting uh as far as the rating goes okay uh phil over to you yeah uh would recommend um I definitely enjoyed the overall, all the stories combined. I really enjoyed the anthology. Like there's some that I would probably not rate, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, as a whole, it's great. Um, I have not read uh, beast grave, um, but now I'm, I'm curious to see more about the different war bands. Um, Shade Spire is great, but it doesn't necessarily like, it, it's not the same like it's more of an exploration of the setting rather than the people in the setting i guess so it's like it's a different animal but but shade spire was great so i'm i'm guessing you're talking the mirrored city yeah 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 totally um so i'm guessing that maybe beast grave is probably in the same vein so yeah these all seem good um looking forward to what they do for the next one sure uh i really enjoyed it so it's a it's a fastest i've whipped through a uh black library offering in quite a while and uh honestly like we weren't sure we we're gonna be able to get this i wasn't sure we we're gonna be able to get this together and <laughs> everybody everybody worked their way through pretty quick uh my rating would be uh well because i i'm in the same vein as aaron where i think black library is at its best in the short stories and uh i would like the chance to do more anthology um coverage in the future um i should say if you are into short stories and such Aaron and I, uh, and sometimes some guests occasionally cover those in, uh, in the pocket realms, which start out on the, uh, Patreon only. And then, uh, a little later get released, uh, to everybody at large, um, where we'll cover some of those. And we may have some of those coming back up in the, in the fall here. Um, but yeah, my, my take on is, uh, we'll say, I will say 33 out of 36 war bands currently fighting in Dyrakasm, uh, <laughs> nice. is, uh, like is what I'll give it pretty high rating, a uh, couple, couple slower moments, but, uh, very happy. I read it overall. 
Um, yeah, that's that's our review. Any any last thoughts before we close it out? So this is a, a very petty and small one, uh, but I went to Cave of the Mounds today with my son, and I was disappointed mm. that every story had stalactites and stalagmites in it. When it's in a mountain mm. that moves constantly, where they would be falling off sure. and breaking constantly, um, <laughs> a wizard did it. So fall. after going to Cave of the Mounds this morning, I was just like, "Oh, I'm kind of annoyed that every place is like this beautiful, fantastic stalactites, stalagmites." That was all. So. <laughs> Fair enough. I yeah, they're leaning into the idea of those as teeth. I think mm-hmm. here, but fair enough. Uh, for us, let's see. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can get in touch with the what the heck side at wthcast or what the hexcast at gmail dot com. Uh, Aaron, where can they get in touch with you and or the story phase? Sure. Well, you can find the story phase um, at. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, the story phase is the moral realms podcast basically you find it anywhere yep. uh, podcast can be found you can find me on twitter at dosesos uh and uh find the rest of the modal realms content at www.themodalrealms.com yes uh paul where can people get in touch with you they can find me at pj shard and phil where can people get in touch with you uh well for the most part on our discord it would be the only real possible spot i guess you could you just call me out in a comment or uh, <laughs> anywhere that you see our podcasts get posted. You just call out his name. Just scream. <laughs> and you know wherever he is. Will, <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, you should do that. You should join our Discord. Uh, we try to have a uh, welcoming, uh, inclusive community there. Um, there's some great conversations going on about all manner of things. Um, if you want to rep us, you can get some apparel. Uh, there's a link on the mortalrealms.com with our shirts and all that sort of thing. Uh, there is some talk. There is some talk. We'll see what it comes to of uh, season four of Dogs of Warcry coming together. Ooh. Hopefully those guys will uh, will do so. Well, since you said it, uh, now they have to. Oh, okay. I, you know what? <laughs> We've been saying it on What the Hex for a little while. Uh, but now, now it's this crossover, so they, they are really stuck with it. Um, coming up for the what the hex, we're not going to make any promises. We're recording this pretty far in advance, so uh, we're going to keep our options open. Uh, I'm not saying for the story phases might even be further in advance for them if you're if you're hearing this on the story phase feed. Um, <clears throat> one thing we like to do on what the hex is provide a recommended listening, and for that, it's going to be uh, the Mountain by Steve Earle, and that's uh, off the album of the same name. Uh, Gentlemen, any last comments before we sign out? No, but good idea. What is this, a crossover episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for What the Hex and the Story Phase, I've been Davey. This is Phil. This is Aaron. Uh, Paul? So then I'll run through this and then I'm just going to take it and run with the, um, after that, I'll run with the usual, what the hex segments. And, uh, then we will kind of transition. We'll say 
we'll head to the story phase and we'll have Paul do his readings. So cool. Uh, and then we'll get into it. Everybody good? Mm-hmm. Let's right. do it. Welcome to the mortal realms and age of Sigmar story phase. Graham, your oh boy. Welcome. It's not to easy. The- now, welcome to the Mortal Realms and Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the subterranean hellscape this episode are... I'm Paul. And, and uh, hey guys, did you hear what the, the silent people said? No. 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 Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, uh, I'm Aaron, and get ready to hear jokes so bad that they will kill Davy, and he will roll over in his beast grave. <laughs> <laughs> Already happening. And I'm I'm Phil, down in my beast grave, never to leave, even in death. <laughs> <laughs> Somber. All right. And I'm Davy, and I live, I die, and I live again. <laughs> Who writes the rules? Who's did that happen last time? We had to do a lot more stalling before we started last time. If we stall any longer, I'm going to have to go get another drink. (laughs) Uh, I give that comment a thumbs up. (laughs) Okay. And there's also... I'm now of the opinion. There's also a short story... Oh, sorry. There's a short story in White Dwarf as well that... Can I get another take of that where you purposely mispronounce all of those, like get the wrong emphasis, like eyes of the nine, repaz, snarl, fangs? Like, uh, <laughs> I totally do that. Meow eyes, pure fires, the triad, pageant. That's, that's um, the gold we're looking for. More weats, blood, blood, covine, splite, splite. Claws swarm. No, this, this is a train wreck. Never mind. <laughs> you asked. Uh, All right.